Welcome in, everybody. Episode 63 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Dufresne with you. As always, we'll have our good buddy Bruce Shine to join us in just a little bit. And we got a lot of stuff to dig into on tonight's episode, as always. Since we last spoke, the New York's the New York Knicks season has come to an end. They lose in five to the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks move on to face the 76ers. And now the Knicks have some offseason discussions to be had. Uh, a direction that they need to figure out in which they want to head moving forward. Uh, and so we'll dig into that stuff later on. There's a couple of good hockey series that are going on. Islanders are one win away from going to the conference semifinals. Uh, and the Rangers head coaching search looks like it might be becoming a little bit more apparent as we move forward in this process. They're still doing their due diligence, taking as much time as possible. But uh, the main candidates, I guess you could say, are, are beginning to become more clear. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I think we have to start off with the baseball. And we'll certainly get Bruce's take on this when he joins us in a little bit. But there's an epidemic going on around baseball, and it's really not news to anybody. It has been going on for years. There's been red flags that have been raised for years. Uh, Players have been caught in the act multiple times throughout the years. But it really seems to be coming to a head specifically this season, and that is the use of foreign substances such as pine tar and things of that nature for pitchers. Um, And there's been a lot of videos that have surfaced on – social media in the past few weeks with a multitude of big name pitchers that are being seen going to the glove, going inside their, their dressing to try to find whatever substance they're using and and things like that. And uh, Garrett Cole specifically is probably the biggest name pitcher out of everybody who's being implicated in this whole entire thing. Now there's no concrete evidence to say that he's definitely using these foreign substances or not, but uh, you know, I was on social media the other day, Rob, and I was listening to this analytics guy who basically explained it. And he essentially said that these foreign substances are used to increase spin rate and the telltale sign uh, or the red flag that's raised is when a pitcher has a significant increase in spin rate, but not a, a significant increase in velocity. He said, so if your fastball is starting to accumulate spin of more than 150 revolutions per minute without an uptick in velocity, it's incredibly hard to do that, let alone figure it out in a year's stretch. So when you see someone like Garrett Cole, who's, you know, uh, whose spin rate is increasing exponentially over a one, one and a half year span, it, it, it starts to raise some eyebrows a little bit. And Shane Bieber is another pitcher who's come up. You have some hitters who are starting, uh, Josh Donaldson in particular, who are talking to the media and starting to mention guys by name so the owners got together Robin they're they're going to start cracking down on this and it's going to be fascinating to watch how things unfold in the coming weeks are pitchers going to continue to use it and just try to hide it better what is going to happen if they get caught in the act are umpires going to issue ejections and will that ultimately lead to suspensions and I think the most important question that we got to ask ourselves here is if this is as much of an epidemic as it's being painted as is this the premier reason why the hitting has been so poor all season long and should we be seeing an uptick in hitting if these foreign substances are being taken away from the pitchers I think they're all valid questions and this next two to three week span is going to be extremely telling with the state of baseball um, when they start cracking down on the usage of these things. Yeah, well, you know, you just we 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 talked we touched on this not so much the the epidemic of of the sticky substance all of a sudden, you know, uh, um, but, but the controversy. lack of the lack of hitting. But, we spent a lot we, of time on that. We, we spent a lot of time on that, but we also spent a lot of time on some of the pitching leaders 
around the AL and NL. And yes. you've seen some guys up there that we were like, what is it? What is Scafati come out of out of nowhere? Yeah. All of a sudden, Alex Wood, you know, I, I mean, Carlos Rodon, it was Carlos Rodon yeah. all of a sudden. We started, we, we seen some pitches that were basically below average all of a sudden now uh, they're looking like Cy Young candidates. Well, and so. another one that Bruce, that Bruce had mentioned by name too is John Means. And he even said that there's been an increase in velocity and an increase in break in his curveball. And he has no idea how he did it, but he's turned into an effective pitcher. And Means is another one where there's a video circulating on social media of him going to the glove. So, yeah. you know, we've kind of alluded to this in the past, but now it's all starting to come to a head. Well, look who's leading the, the look who's leading the American league in ERA, Kyle Gibson. The guy was the guy was garbage with Minnesota. He was terrible. He was never good. All of a sudden, his, his ERA is 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 a tad over two right now, two point oh six. And this guy's leading the league and, and playing in Texas. Yeah, pretty I mean, hitter friendly ballpark. Yeah. Yes. All of a sudden, this guy's leading the league in ERA. Come on, you know you could probably see there's something going on there, of course. But you know what? It's very easy. You know, Major League Baseball and the owners say they want to crack down on it. Here's, all you got to do is put a mandate out. Okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Every every other inning, we are going to check your glove. We're just going to give you a quick check to see, make sure there's no foreign substances on you. The bill of your cap, the back of your cap, or in your glove, and we're going to check for that. And if you found to have it, it's an automatic 25-game suspension. Bing, bang, boom, and that's it. You know, it, it's it, this doesn't take rocket science to figure out what you need to do here. It's, it's well, a very simple solution. The, the only... And I'm not disagreeing with your solution because that would be an easy way to mandate it. But I did hear someone say this, and I'm not exactly certain who it was. I'll try to peruse Twitter and try to find out. But but somebody, some writer brought up the fact that, hey, this might open up a can of worms because you look at the Houston Astros and their science-stealing scandal, which was of crazy proportions, something that the league and any of the four major sports hadn't seen since the, the last century. Uh, and none of those players got in trouble. So if you're going to put in, enforce a mandate here and you're going to start cracking down and handing out, like you said, 20 game suspensions to guys like that, that's going to tick off some of the players like, hey, this team, this is a this was a team wide epidemic that cheated for a championship and none of them got in trouble. And now all of a sudden where, you know, because. I think ceiling steins at the extent that the Astros were doing it are probably bending the rules a little bit further than using a foreign substance would be. So that might open up a can of worms. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that something needs to be done because I do think you're seeing some of these journeyman pitchers who, for lack of a better term, I'm not going to pretend to be a wordsmith here, pitchers who stink and have stunk their whole entire careers that are pitching to sub three, sub two earn run averages. It's not normal. And I get that the approach at the plate is different in this analytical error era. And a lot of these guys are, are home run or bus type players. And that's part of the reason why we're seeing such a, a decrease in hitting. But it's got to have something to do with the foreign substances, too. And Jeff Passan said it perfectly. If Garrett Cole, the $324 million man, is using it, then you can bet your ass that everybody around baseball is using it. And I guarantee you a lot of these teams have not been complaining about it because they know the guys within their confines are doing the same thing. And I'll tell you, if the Houston Astros were caught doing that, that sign stealing and the banking on the can during a regular season and it became an issue, Guys would have been suspended, but because they they won the World Series or made it to the World Series, it, it changed the whole thing. Because if you start suspending guys for that, then then basically you're saying, okay, we might have to we might have to take away this World Series title from them as well. And, and I think that might have had a little something to do with it as well. But you can't worry about that. 
you have to stop what's going on now. And as we touched on it again last week, me, you, and Bruce, Major League Baseball's in trouble. They're in trouble, big trouble. I mean, the ratings are plummeting. They're plummeting. There's no hitting in this game. People are bored watching it. So, you know, look, I, I, think, I think the Major League Baseball fans are, would be in favor of this happening, and especially the Major League Baseball player hitters will be, uh, you know, will be very happy to see something come of this as far as them stopping them from using these sticky substances to try and increase, uh, uh, you know, the, the spin rate on their curveballs and their fastballs or whatever it may be, you know, I mean, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, listen, you know what it, it's, and I'm not saying, look, if he did it, he did it, but it, it's unfair that you're only calling out Garrett Cole because of one guy with Josh Donaldson said calling out Garrett Cole, because there's a, there's a, there's a ton of guys doing this. Obviously this certainly is. It's, it's not just Garrett Cole. Has he been doing it for a couple of years? Yeah, he probably has. As me and you touched on before we, we opened this up, Andrew, before we started recording, Garrett Cole was a garbage pitcher with the Pirates. He was not good. He was not good at all. So, look, I mean, all of a sudden now, you know, they started tracking his spin rates over the last few years from when he left the Pirates and everything increased. Uh, you look, odds are, yeah, he probably was. And, right, and, so, and again, he's not the only guy. The, the thing that I was alerted to today as well is, is you know, the, the Houston Astros were looked at as a team that was more – analytically advanced and I put that in air quotes analytically advanced a couple years ago and part of the reason why was because every pitcher that went to the Houston Astros team their spin rates dramatically increased and they were one of the first teams who kind of started looking at spin rates so that's why people thought hey you know they're more analytically driven and they're seeing they're starting to get the most out of these pitchers but now we're seeing the correlation between the foreign substances and the spin rate and it's fair to say maybe the Houston Astros are one of the teams that started doing it. So it wasn't even just the sign stealing that they came up with. They came up with this thing, too, because if you look at pitchers like Eric Cole, Justin Verlander, who didn't need the uptick in spin rate. I mean, he was a fabulous pitcher in his own right when he was with Detroit. But Verlander, Cole, Charlie Morton, these are all guys who had serious upticks in spin rate once they went to the Astros, too. So, you know, it was an institutional thing there, too. And and the only reason why I really call out Garrett Cole, Rob, is not to pick on the Yankees. I'm not a Yankee hater. I've said that on the record a million times. But it's just because this is the biggest name out of the guys who are being implicated. And you know that the way MLB is looking at it and the way a lot of fans are looking at it, Garrett Cole's name is one that resonates. You know, if Joe Schmo, the number five starter from the Detroit Tigers, gets used far in a gets caught using a foreign substance. No one bats an eye. Everyone forgets about it the next day, but because it's Garrett Cole, it's going to resonate more. And I think it might be pushing the owners uh, and the league to maybe mandate this quicker than they normally would have had it been someone that no one has ever heard of. No doubt. But you only had one guy calling out Garrett Cole and it was Josh Donaldson and that's it. Nobody else has come out. Well, Trevor Bauer has said it before in the past, but him and Trevor Bauer, have had bad blood going back to their college days, uh, Cole and, and Bauer. So, you know, who knows with that? But, you know, one guy called them out, Josh Donaldson. Yeah, he was a former MVP, but he's calling out, you know, things just based on what he's seen statistic statistically with these spin rates. That's all he's calling them out on. It's not like he got caught. So he hasn't gotten caught. So he can't be accused. You can't you can't all of a sudden, you know, proclaim him guilty for something that one guy said. Well, he did. Again, Desi, he did have an admission of guilt kind of in his press conference today. 
okay, maybe he he might he might have, maybe he did, but you know what? This goes back for 40, 50 years, like I told you earlier, Andrew. Yeah. Guys were scuffing balls and guys were throwing spitballs and and they had Vaseline on the back of their neck and they had the uh, suntan lotion on the back of their neck or whatever they were using to disguise it to get a, a better grip on the ball or whatever way they got to do it. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. The problem now is the hitters, the onus is on the hitters. They could say that the pitching is good, and we've seen statistically, yes, we've seen some pitches that have not been good pitches in the past. All of a sudden, now we're up on the leaderboard in ERA and strikeouts and WHIP and whatever other uh, you know category you want to use for pitching categories. And all of a sudden, they're pitching better. But you know what? I mean, listen, the guys have to hit better too. Learn to adjust. It's like anything else. You got to learn to adjust. Learn to adjust to the shift. I mean, you know, this is what it comes down to. So, uh, you know, look, it's a, it's a twofold thing. Does the pitching have something to do with it? Yes. But does the, does the fact, and we said this how many times over the past couple of weeks, does the fact that these guys are all looking for launch angles and exit velos hurt, the, you know, the fact that guys aren't hitting? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you learn how to hit and be a professional hitter and not a professional home run hitter that strikes out a lot, maybe this game would be better off. And maybe... You wouldn't be touching on the uh, whole sticky substance, you know, uh, agenda right now, because again, it goes back for years and years and years and pitches have gotten away with it. No issue was ever made. Everybody knew Gaylord Perry was throwing a spitball and using Vaseline to doctor the ball. And Mike Scott was scuffing balls when all of a sudden they, they, they thought he found the greatest split finger pitch in the world from Roger Craig back in the 86 World Series against the Mets. You know, in the year, the, the year that Mike Scott, all of a sudden, who was an ex-Met, has stunk up, the, stunk up the joint in his career until he went to, oh, yeah, he went to the Astros. I mean, it goes all the way back to 1986. (laughs) (laughs) So this has been going on. This is nothing new. I mean, again, yeah. Is it something that Major League Baseball should keep an eye on and maybe try and thwart right now? Yes. But at the same time, the onus is on the hitters too. So, well, I think Charlie Blackman was interesting to listen to the other day because he was talking with the, with the media and he was pretty candid about it. And it wasn't necessarily uh, talking about the sticky substance issue, but just the approach at the plate in general. And he said, you know, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing in the world. And I don't think that anybody, I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't acknowledge that it's one of the hardest things to do in sports, if not the hardest. But he also said, with the spin rates nowadays and how much guys have their fastballs and breaking balls moving. He said, for a guy like me who has been in the league and has been hitting a certain way for seven, eight years to now all of a sudden have these spin rates that you've never seen before. He goes, it's incredibly hard because now you're not anticipating where you think the ball is going to break to. Now you're essentially guessing how far the ball is going to break. And he said, and that's why you're getting a lot of swings and misses nowadays. So, um, for guys that, you know, there's no denying that there's launch angle guys out there. I know I brought up Nick Ahmed from the diamondbacks the other day. Cause he's a guy who was swinging for the fence and he's five foot, nothing, you know, 160 pounds soaking wet with a pocket full of quarters. Like that, that guy's swing for launch angle is indicative of where the game is going and how the front offices view success. Uh, but for other guys who are contact hitters, they're having trouble too. And, and that's part of the reason it, it 
you know, it's interesting to think about if you've been seeing breaking balls a certain way for so long throughout your professional career, and now they're moving at a clip that you've never seen before, it's harder to adapt in the box and, and start adjusting to that. And you're seeing some of the most seasoned veterans in the game having trouble with it. And, and that contributes also to the hitting being at an all-time low. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know what? I'm so tired of this subject, to be honest with you. It really is. It's getting tiring. I, I mean, we talk about this ad nauseum because we have to, because yeah, is it an issue? Yeah. But you know, it's an issue that we have to keep talking about. Why? Because major league baseball does nothing to fix any of these issues. Yeah. You're right. You know, their quick, their fix is, well, let's try moving the mound back, you know, uh, a couple of feet in, in, in independent league ball. I mean, that that's their fix. You know, their fix is let's put a man on second base and uh, you know, we'll start the extra innings like that. Their fix is, Oh, let's try and quicken up the game. So we're going to just, Instead of you throwing a four pitches for an intentional walk, you're just going to say you're intentionally walking a guy because that's going to save us a hell of a lot of time. I mean, you know, it's so stupid. Fix the real problems here. Fix the real problems because you have some real, real problems here. You, 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 your game isn't suffering because you go into extra innings once in a while. Your game isn't suffering because, you know, the, the, you know, the, the pitch is throwing four pitches as an intentional walk. It's not suffering because of that. It's suffering for a lot of other reasons. And you're not finding any solutions to them. And there and, are solutions out there. And the worst part about it is that the CBA is up after the end of this year. And we know how much the players and the owners like to get along. So yeah. that, that, that makes matters even worse. I mean, it's honestly, right, right now, how much money would you wager on the fact that there will be, at the very least, a shortened season next year because of labor disagreements? Hey, listen, it, anything could happen. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I see no way in which they play a full 162 that starts when it's supposed to start. As Pete hits a bomb of a two-run homer in the first inning, Mets take a oh, two-nothing lead over the I Orioles. Already. Jeez. Um, yeah, I mean, so look. Well we'll, 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 we'll continue this conversation when Bruce hops on with us. We'll, uh, let's, we'll, let's try and cut this off quick, though, because – you know, we could go on with this for, forever and it, and it gets ad nauseum. And I think, I think, it, I think it gets annoying to our listeners as well, to be honest with you, if we keep on going on with the same subject, because we're going on with a subject that we're all talking about and, and there's nobody's doing anything about it. And well, you know, you know what we're going to talk about it. You know what you the know? listeners do love to hear trivia. They love that. Oh, they're not, that's not happening. <laughs> Well, let's get, let's get into the Knicks, and then Bruce can join our discussion on the Knicks when he gets in here, and and we'll circle back to some other things for the entirety of the call once Bruce hops on. So, you know, last time we spoke was last Tuesday. They were getting set for their Game 5 game against the Atlanta Hawks, and um, it, we were fairly confident that the Knicks would come out and play a good game. They played a little bit better in the first half. It was a close game at some points. Atlanta ran away again like they had done for games uh, 3 through 5, and now there's going to be some legitimate questions in the offseason for the Knicks. I mean, we talked about Julius Randle and his struggles, and a lot of them, you know, you could pin on the fact that he had no experience. He was not used to the double teaming. Um, a lot of it was kudos to the Atlanta Hawks for coming up with an effective game plan to limit his strategy. But listen, the NBA seems to be built now, Rob, on teams scooping up disgruntled superstars. And that seems to be what the missing piece is going to be before the Knicks actually become a championship contender. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no beating around the bush here. The Knicks grossly overachieved and a lot of it had to do with having 
a good coach in Tom Thibodeau, who was officially announced as the coach of the year. Um, you know, he had that other coach of the year. I got confused by them because there's two coach of the year awards. One that didn't yeah, really I mean, that's just... that was announced a few weeks ago, but today's coach of the year is the official one by the writers and, and Thibodeau gets it, but he did an unbelievable coaching job. So you have the coach in place. You have some really good pieces in place. I mean, RJ Barrett showed us a lot this season. Julius Randle showed you that he can be a building block in a franchise, but I just don't think there's going to be that number one option, but you know, it just, it begs the question, what do you do if there is no superstar that is requesting a trade or if there is no superstar that opts out of the contract? What is the plan B for the Knicks? Because that plan B a couple of years ago when they didn't end up getting KD and Kyrie, right? They trade Porzingis, they get the cap space, they have those two max slots anticipating to be in the running for Durant and Irving, and they don't get either of them. Their plan B was to go to Julius Randle and start building there. Now it looks like they're in the same boat again where they want to make a move. They want to get a superstar. That would be the thing to do to get you to the next level. If they don't get one, Rob, then what is plan B then? Well, plan B is developing your own players. It's, it's, it's developing RJ Barrett into a better player, into that, that star type of quality that he can possess. It's developing Emmanuel quickly and, and having him elevate his game. It's, it's developing Obi Toppin and having him elevate his game. It's look again, they, they need guys that could shoot the open threes and nail them. It will take so much pressure off of Julius Randle, especially in, in, in the playoffs, like what we've seen him getting double and triple team and forcing shots. Look, he, he, he wasn't used to that pressure because you know what? He never played under that pressure. He never played in a playoff game in his career until he came to the Knicks here and this season. So again, it's going to be just developing your own plays and hopefully you hit big somewhere in the draft because otherwise, look, let, let's forget the whole Damon Lillard thing. Let's forget the Bradley Beal thing. It is not happening. It's 0% of that happening. We've seen it with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. We've seen it with uh, uh, Anthony Davis. How many more superstar players are we going to pretend are going to come to the Knicks? And it's not like they don't want to come to the Knicks maybe so much because they hate the organization. Maybe they don't like Jim Dolan. I don't know. But the Knicks just never wind up with these players. So let's forget about the Damian Lillard whole thing about that. Let's forget about the Bradley Beal. Just build from what you have on your roster right now and get these players to be better and do a better job in the draft than what they've done in the past. Because that's the way you're going to build your team. R.J. Barrett's going to get better. Quickly looks like he could be a player here in this league. Whether or not they're going to be superstars and upper echelon guys, who knows? We don't know that yet. But you have some building blocks. Finally, you have some young talent on this team that you've never had before. And they have it now. So let's try and develop these players over the next couple of years and see where we go from that. But as far as the superstar player coming here, let, let's, let's forget that. You cannot forget that. That is what needs to happen because it, I, it does, but it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened in the past. It hasn't happened and, in the past because the Knicks have been the absolute biggest joke of a franchise right. in professional sports. They no longer have that aura surrounding them. I mean, you saw it, LeBron James. And I'm not saying, you know, it's not something to do with LeBron personally, as far as his future, but 
he came out and tweeted about how much Madison Square Garden was rocking. And, you know, you see that atmosphere. You see fans back into attendance. You see a team with some promise. You see a team with some young pieces. You see a team with a coach who was just voted as coach of the year. There are promising building blocks. Hey, the Brooklyn Nets were the biggest joke of, of an organization in professional sports, too, when they were winning 14, 15, 16 games in the early 2010s. But guess what? They got it right. They made some moves. And then all of a sudden, they attracted the superstar. So you're starting to get into that category where it will happen so you, you can't just be a, a a Debbie Downer because of what's happened to this franchise throughout the past and the reputation that they've built for themselves in the past because this is a new era of of Knicks basketball now. it's not it's not being a Debbie Downer it's being realistic that's what it's being it's being really realistic we've seen this time and time and time again with the Knicks they super but when have the Knicks again. ever been in this situation though well first of all you know what i'll tell you the truth do do, do the Knicks right now want a 31 year old point guard and damian lillard right now do they do they want that right now at this point because if, if, damian, if you don't if you don't want damian lillard i'm i'm then, asking the question do you it's not even a it's not even a question you need to give up and what's it gonna what's it gonna take to bring in damian lillard here because you're not just gonna bring him in here for free it's gonna take draft capital and some of your players it's going to take blowing up maybe the roster in order to bring in Damian Lillard. It doesn't make sense. Well, uh, let's well let's the put Knicks it have this done way. that in the past, and it's never been successful for them. You you have Julius Randle, right? And you have Damian Lillard. Just there, I mean, you, you could forget about the rest of the roster. Just there, you were automatically in contention, right? Like, yeah, you're going to have to give up a guy like Obi Toppin. I'm not losing sleep over giving up a guy like him. Same thing goes for Mitchell Robinson. Same thing goes for Kevin Knox. Same thing goes for Frank. I mean, I, and honestly, in, in my opinion, even R.J. Barrett, there is no one on this team that is untradeable when it comes to getting a guy like Damian Lillard. He's always in Portland. He's playing 1030 West Coast games, and his team doesn't win because he's surrounded by garbage. But Julius Randle is not garbage. And all of a sudden, you get Damian Lillard in here, and that turns into a, even more of a destination. And then you fill your roster up elsewhere. Hey, Okay, we'll but where, what do you get? You're not giving – Kevin Knox and Frank uh, Nicolina are not going back in the trade for Damian Lillard. RJ, That's what happened. R.J. Barrett, three draft picks. Boom. Uh, I, why you would go. you trade R.J. Barrett, though? He's going to be one of your building blocks. I let don't me know if let I me would do let that. me let me tell you something. R.J. Barrett can he can blossom into something spectacular, and he still won't be half the player that Damian Lillard is. No, and he, that's, I'm not and saying that's being will, realistic. But, but but then you you you're losing your objective here with this roster. To me, I'd rather just see them keep the roster and again draft better. Let's see what happens with a new front office with a new regime making these draft picks. Let's see what happens because in the past. The Frank Nicolinas and 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 the and the Kevin Knoxes of the world obviously did not pan out. They were they were terrible draft picks. It was just terrible drafting. You know, look, there were guys to be had in the, in the, in the middle rounds of a first round draft. There are guys to be had at 14, 15, 16, 17. And maybe now with a better coach and a better coaching staff that could help develop these players than what they've had in the past. Maybe you'll see some somewhere where you, you pull out a diamond in a rough where you can pull out a Donovan Mitchell type player. Where Donovan Mitchell was drafted in the teens, I mean, come on, let's find those players and develop them because they're there. They are there. Okay, so our our good buddy Bruce Shine joins the show, and Bruce, uh, no introduction needed, no hello, how are you, no greetings. Let's throw you right into the fire here. If the Knicks going into this offseason, it, it seems like the, the the prudent move to make in order to get the tra franchise to the next level in terms of championship contention, it would be to add the superstar, but. 
Again, we don't know if the superstar is going to be there on the free agent market, barring any opt-outs. Doesn't look like that will happen. Uh, we don't know if there's going to be a disgruntled superstar who wants out of his current situation, a la Damian Lillard. Uh, so if that situation does not become available to the Knicks, what would plan B be in order to get them to the next level? Maybe not championship level, but what do you think would be the next step in this process to ultimately get where they want to go? I, I think it's exactly what you guys were referencing. Find that disgruntled superstar from another team who finds Madison Square Garden uh, appealing enough to try, want to, uh, you know, orchestrate an, an exit strategy out of where he currently is to come to New York. Listen, look, boys, as far as free agency is concerned, this is one of the more unappealing classes that we've seen in recent years. Kawhi Leonard's not coming walking through that door. He's not a New York kind of guy. If you want to overpay for Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Lonzo Ball, more power to you. So you're not going in that, in, in that direction. Yeah, if you could, you know, do something to, to reel in a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal, you know, absolutely. But the first question that need be answered is, do they want to come here? Because the Knicks have all the resources in the world to consummate the deal. You talked about the obvious trade candidates that are currently on the roster, and you're absolutely right. Everybody this side of Randall is available. They have the five number one draft picks the next three years. They have – 60 million plus worth of, of cap space to play with. So there are options, uh, but they're not as plentiful. And in terms of free agency, not as attractive as you otherwise would imagine. Look, the Wizards brought in Russell Westbrook. They're not going to start. They're not going to jettison Bradley Beal out of there. It's not going to happen. I don't see Damon Lillard going, Damon Lillard going anywhere anyway, because the, I still don't think the Knicks have. Oh, yeah. If you want to give up R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly and three draft picks. Yeah, you're bringing Damian Lillard. But is that what you want to do? Is that what we're going to do right now? Yeah, I'm a little bit leery of his age, too. He is no he's no spring chicken, but. Uh, I do think that he is the the type of player, the star, the sensation, the difference maker. Talking about reasonable exchange rate, yeah, that that that's a player that I'm wholeheartedly interested in. But I will ag agree with you. I am not forfeiting uh, any and all valuable resources to make that happen. No. Yeah, it, it, it needs to be it needs to be the right package. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I mean, you are not going to give up every draft pick that you absolutely own and every player that's currently on the roster. I mean, if you're doing that, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. But if there is a deal out there in which you can get rid of the young semi-attractive pieces on the roster along with three of those draft picks in a trade package similar to the one that Houston got for James Harden. I think that you do it. I'm not losing sleep over losing any of these guys. Can R.J. Barrett still grow and develop? Yes, he's still incredibly young, and he showed you promising steps in this season, right? Obi Toppin, even younger. He's got room to grow not losing sleep over giving him up. Same thing with Emmanuel quickly. I mean, he showed you signs in the beginning of the season that he can knock down the jumper albeit a little bit inconsistently as we saw as the season went down, still room for him to grow as well. But none of those guys holding on to any of those guys, I don't think is going to change your current situation. You're kind of going to be stuck in limbo here until you get the superstar in. And I, I wouldn't fall under that category of thinking that no superstar is coming here anymore because this is a new era of Knicks basketball. I don't think I'm not saying that the Knicks automatically are going to become the most attractive destination in all of sports, but I don't think they're looked at nearly in the light as they were couple years ago where they were just an utter embarrassment and they were the laughing stock of the league. It, it's a different era. The one well, guy I could possibly see coming here might be Carl Anthony Towns, maybe, 
but I don't see these other superstars here. There's nobody out in free agency. You would have to trade for them, if anything. And again, I, I don't see what's going to be out there and available to them. To me, they have to get a Trey Young type point guard. You, you have to. You, you have to. And you have to develop him. You, hopefully you can get that guy in the draft. That's the key. I mean, listen, they were one pick away from getting Morant, and that would have been that would have been a terrific pick, obviously, because you see what Trey Young did for the did for the Hawks. And and let's not forget the Hawks basically gave up Luka Doncic to get Trey Young. Not saying that that was the right thing to do, but you know, but both they teams are, that both teams are happy with happy with the player both that teams, they got. Both teams are happy, but who's the better player at this point right now? Who would you who would you rather have in in this day and age of the NBA? The point guard. All the all world forward in Luka Doncic, who really plays any position. Yeah, but the first question that needs to be answered here, guys, is an internal one. I mean, Leon Rose needs to assess the situation. Look at what happened this year for a franchise that grossly overshot expectations, that has a rabid fan base that finally got the taste of some semblance of success for the first time in some two decades, barring you know the outlier here or there, is expecting major moves. This offseason, by the way, it would be nice if, if uh, the aforementioned Rose would speak, give his little state of the union uh, after the uh, curtain just dropped on the season. I mean, that, that's one of the things as a, as a diehard you look forward to, whether it's the Giants, Yankees, whatever team you might be pulling for, is the general manager coming out there and giving you some kind of taste, some kind of, you know, look at, the, you know, towards anticipation of what might be on the horizon in terms of, you know, what the always too long offseason is going to bring. But that that's just not the way he works for whatever reason. But be that as it may, they need to see, all right, are we ready to take that quantum leap and do everything within our power to ensure that, maybe running before we're walking? Because that that's a dangerous protocol. And I think you got to keep your wits about you here. I think you got to realize that you you basically took you know one you know giant leap, but at the same time they're baby steps towards perennial contention, and you have to be real prudent with how you conduct your business this summer because you do have this rash of wealth in terms of resources to play with, and you can't be motivated. You know, as as the great former GM of the Colts said, Bill Polian. If you think like the fans, you're going to end up sitting with them. All right. You can't be motivated by that. You can't be motivated by what the team in the neighboring borough is going to do in terms of their, you know, championship aspirations. Uh, you know, as far as what, what the Nets are doing, just be careful here. Don't do too much too soon. Let, let's not take that, you know, that I mean, I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm not looking to do a whole blow up of this roster to bring in one guy. Well, if, honestly, not, you got you, one thing oh. that has to be discussed is that this roster already is looking drastically different. I mean, it, you look at the free agents that are on this roster right now. Nerlens Noel played a big role on this team. He's a free agent. Derek Rose, Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, Taj Gibson, all guys who played large roles on this team. And honestly, because they played large roles, they're playing themselves into quite the payday. So the Knicks are not going to be bringing these guys back. Are you going to be in the same? No, they're going to have to pick and choose. Hey, look, they're going to have to pick and choose. So they're going to have Mitchell Robinson coming back. So their need for a big man won't be as much. Reggie Bullock was a good three point shooter for them. Alec Burks, will he be able to duplicate the season that he had this year? I mean, the guy's been in the league for nine years. He's never had this sort of success. You have to determine whether or not this is just 
an aberration what he did this year, or can he follow it up again next year? Who is this that sort of guy? Alec Burke. Oh, Al, yeah, Alec. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a journeyman. He's a he kind of reminds me of been in the uh, league nine years. Yeah, he, yeah. He reminds <laughs> me of a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who just you know he has his moments sometimes. He has these outbursts of scoring. I mean, Clarkson has started doing it on a on a pretty consistent basis now. Hence why he's in the running for six man. Or did they announce it yet that he got the six man? I don't, think, the, I don't even. He got he got the six man of, of the year award actually. So he's starting to do that on a consistent basis. But that's kind of the player that Burks reminds me of. He can he can come you know come off the bench and provide you with a little bit of an outburst of, of scoring every now and again. But yeah, but I, let's I, not let let's not pit Mitchell Robinson with that group. I mean Mitchell Robinson could have made a world of difference. I mean you saw how you know Capella and uh, and all the all the the biggins for the for the Hawks just had their way on the interior, especially after Noel got hurt. Could you imagine? You know, had Mitchell Robinson been there on hand? So I mean, this oh, is a yeah. young guy who's still only 23, 24 years old himself. That's a very valuable commodity. That would that's the kind of guy you want to hold on to. I'm not saying you you keep him out of a potential deal for a guy like Damian Lillard for that kind of difference maker, but for a lot of these guys, I don't want to depict them as vagabonds. But Burks and Bullock and and guys like that are, are expendable. And I would like Derrick Rose back as much as, as the next guy. But clearly, it has to be in a, a very much diminished role compared to how he was obviously utilized in, the, in this brief playoff stretch. Well, there's not a whole lot that needs to be said about this, but I'll touch on it quickly. I mean, you, you get a little bit of a red flag, James Harden. Misses game two with a hamstring strain in the next Bucks series, and what do the Nets do? I mean, they respond by going out there and beating the Bucks by thirty-five points. It's just becoming abundantly clear that it's, it's a cakewalk. I said it's that a, a couple. Walk. I had enough of the Bucks, enough of Giannis. I had enough of that team too. For them frauds. to come, for them to come out, for them to come out and and completely and I mean utterly embarrass themselves, where they were down by forty or fifty at one point. I mean that that to me is an embarrassment, and it's an embarrassment to a player of the ability of of Giannis. I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name because I don't feel like it, but it's <laughs> it's it's an utter embarrassment that even without James Harden, the Nets just completely had their way with that team. That team, you're right, they're a bunch of frauds. I had yeah. enough of that team. Yeah, they are, they are fraudulent. And I, I think everybody kind of expected the Nets to win this series pretty with relative ease, but to be to be manhandled in the fashion that they were last manhandled. night. Manhandled. Oh, it's unprecedented. I was, uh, but I mean. I was, uh, and at the Coupos, no show last night was stunning. Uh, I, I mean, that it's is not, it's not the first blatant, time, Bruce. Not the first time. No, it's not. And that's the one blatant advantage the Bucks had in this series because the Nets don't play any defense, period. But they're particularly vulnerable on the interior. And that's where a guy of, of Giannis's stature needs to take over. And he didn't he didn't come close to putting his best foot forward last night. You know, as far as as far as the Nets. Look, I know Harden hasn't played in either one of these two games, and you guys, you know, spoke uh, <laughs> eloquently enough about the, their overall effort last night. There's, there's not much more than that worthy of breaking down. But, I, you know, I was thinking of the great big threes we've seen in recent vintage. Um, this is the best of all of them. I know it started with Garnett, Pierce, and Allen, and then, you know, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch did their thing. We know what Durant did with, with Curry and, and, and Thompson and Golden State. But the Nets, when they're right and they, ha and they have all those three guys intact, they're absolute assassins. And, and you can't say about – you can't say that about the other triumvirates we've seen. And it's scary for the Nets to go out there – and listen, let's give credit where credit is due. You know, the, the bench has kind of stepped up here as well. 
I mean, Blake Griffin has been <laughs> Blake Griffin circa 10 years ago. He turned yeah. back the clock. He turned he's, back the clock. He's been Listen, incredible. He, he's played Joe on Harris. garbage teams the last couple of years with the Pistons and Look, he's rejuvenated. Yeah, Joe Harris is obviously giving him valuable minutes, and, and you know, and pumping in threes. And but you, you know, Durant is, I guess, maybe because he's been he hasn't been around for the better part of last year. I think everybody forgot how just incredibly awesome he is, and we justifiably so pay attention to all this these extracurricular histrionics with Kyrie Irving. But I mean, he's he's absolutely devastating out there as well, and we know what Harden is all about. We haven't seen anything you know like this, and boy, if this is any indication, and I'm not the last night's score notwithstanding, being down 0-2 doesn't really come into my next thought process here. It's just who who's beating this team? Who's beating this team? You know, four out of seven. No. Who's keeping up? Nobody is. Nobody is. And I tell you, Bruce, it, it, this kind of, you know, Rob, I'm, I think I'm in the same boat as you now on the whole Damian Lillard thing. I think I just had a come to Jesus moment. And, and I know that the Nets are have as deep of a team as we've seen in recent memory. So they might not be the best example, but in all likelihood, they look like they're going to be the, the team that's hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy this year. So we'll use them as exhibit a, you look at their roster and who is their eighth man, Landry Shemette. Yeah. Okay, if you put Landry Schmidt on the Knicks, he's their starting shooting guard. So the Knicks yeah. are pretty far away now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe it's not the most prudent decision to be emptying out whatever you do have in the tank for a guy like Lillard. Maybe it is in your best interest to try to draft and develop a couple more guys. This way you have enough assets where you realistically could pick and choose which ones stay, which ones go, and then you're labeled as a serious contender. So I... You know, I, I think I'm actually coming around to what you said, Rob, because uh, and again, the Knicks, the, the Nets are not the best example because they are just an uber talented team from top to bottom. We've seen quite few that are on the same level as them, but it's worth saying because that is the direction in which today's NBA is going, where you stockpile superstars and you end up getting these veterans on one year deals. You facilitate a trade here for another disgruntled player. And next thing you know, you got a team full of 10 guys that are unstoppable. Andrew, you could bring in Damian Lillard, but him and Julius Randle are not winning him a championship. It's not happening. And especially, Nets, as, sure. and especially if the Nets decide to stick with uh, Harden, Durant, and Irving for the next two, three years, it's 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 just not happening. So and all the, yeah, and, but and it's you, a quantum, but, but Robbie, it's a quantum leap in that direction, and you find yourself a third guy, and you're right there, especially in the East. Yeah, I mean, look, but it's not easy. I mean, you have to be lucky. All the stars aligned for the Nets because. Durant wanted to come here with Irving. The two of them came here together, and all of a sudden, Harden decided he wanted out because he wanted to play with Durant and Irving. So it all just came together very simply for them. Yeah, did they have to give up pieces? Of course they did, no, no doubt. But look, look at look at the trifecta that they garnered there from that. For the Knicks to get that, I, I, it's a lot. It's a lot because you got to have it. You got it takes the perfect storm. Put it that way. Yeah, but you know what, storm. Rob? And I know it's apples and oranges with regards to the franchises I'm out to compare and contrast here. But if you listen to a lot of what, what Danny Ainge said in his exit interview, if you will, leaving the Celtics after nearly two decades of running an operation, what were some of his greatest regrets? Read between the lines. I could have done Anthony Davis. I didn't go the extra mile. I could have reeled in James Harden. Just couldn't make it happen. You know, it. there's no sure thing here. There are always going to be what ifs. But if you're granted that that opportunity and you have that short, succinct wind, window to make something of, of that 
magnitude happen, you got to go for it. I, I don't care if, if you're a franchise, the pedigree of the Celtics that, that are always going to be in the mix, or if you're the, uh, you know, underling Knicks who have been, you know, in the basketball abyss for the better part of two decades. When you're granted these windows, you better jump in both feet first and be aggressive when the timing calls for it. I know I just said, you know, at the Knicks, you want to run a, a walk a little bit more before you start sprinting. But you know what? You also have an opportunity where you do have some pieces, some commodities in place where if the opportunity exists to go get out there, albeit in an aging commodity like Lillard, where you, where all of a sudden you start that, you know, clock for that window for the next, you know, five years or so. If you're the Knicks and you Leon Rose, you better go for it. But here's here's the issue: Durant and Irving went to the Nets. It didn't cost them anything. The James Harden trade obviously did. The Knicks would have to get two superstar players that are free agents that want to join forces and come to them, and that's not happening this season. I don't know if it's going to happen next season either, but it's certainly not happening this coming season and this off well, season. It's not happening. The stars have to align. I, I mean, in free right. agency, you're right. They're, they're just they're, there aren't those pieces to make something like that happen. But, you know, we're not a championship or bust here. You know, if they no. go out there. They're and not they at make, that level yet, the Knicks. But if they then, go out there and they make make a play for for a big star and they take another step and then then take another shot of it, whether it be the trade deadline or next summer, so be it. But they don't necessarily, you know, have to sit on their hands and, you know, just just wait for that opportunity to arise that may never come. You know, you referenced LeBron; they they took up, you know, a home run swing at that. It didn't happen. Ditto for KD and and Irving. So if by chance Lillard and Beal decide that Madison Square Garden is an attractive destination spot all of a sudden, and you have the wherewithal to make that happen, which by all accounts, as we've attested to the Knicks do, go for it. Well, here's the thing you got to look at, too. I mean, we, we are obviously doing a podcast on a weekly basis, so we are in the business of kind of examining things in, with a fine-tooth comb. But these front offices, I mean, they do have five-year plans. And also – if you're confident with the current regime and the people you have in place and you're confident that the processes and the decision-making and the people that are wearing the suits that are involved in that decision-making process, if you feel like those are the right people, you probably have confidence that you are not going back to being the aberration that you were for the better part of the past 25 years. If you think you have the right people in place, you're confident that you're going to be building this. Uh, I don't want to use the term juggernaut, but you're going to be building a team that is consistently going to be competitive. So it's not like you have, have to reach right now because the window is going to slam shut afterwards. I mean, if you feel like you have the proper people in place making the decisions, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe the, win the window to win within the next five years will slam shut, but maybe the window to win in the five years after that will still be open if you have, you know, uh, actually turned this thing around like fans think that they have. Well, I look, it, it's, I mean, a guys, it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone. I mean, I, ha I hate to bring it up, but, you know, a few months ago, we were all pining for the prospect of, of Giannis coming here. Then he signs the max extension, you know, in Milwaukee. So, I mean, the timing and the opportunity have to mesh. I mean, you just can't count on, you know, whoa, look what the class of, you know, 2024 is going to look like and, and wait that out because it, it may never come to pass. 
I'm not, I, I have no idea how realistic or how viable Lillard or Beal are, 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 or to what extent those possibilities are. But you just can't dismiss them, you know, out of school, especially when you're in a situation like the Knicks. They weren't the seventh or eighth seed. They were the fourth seed. They have a very, very good player, albeit not a superstar, in Randall as part of your core. If you could bring in that second big piece, you do it. The time is ripe for that if they can make it happen. But obviously, you got to be leery about overexpenditure. I guess everybody is. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first conversation we had on this show, Bruce, um, and I want to get your take on it. And Rob might actually sit this one out because he's, he's kind of nauseous of talking about it. But I wanted to get your take on it. So, I mean, we, we know now – Obviously, the the epidemic that is the foreign substance use with pitchers, and we know that there's going to be a crackdown coming in the in the coming weeks. And I said to Rob, I just think it's going to be fascinating to look at over the next couple of weeks because we've been on this podcast the last three four weeks. We've been talking ad nauseum about how how much hitting has decreased, how many strikeouts there are, how many teams have you know, team batting averages that are under 200. And a lot of it has to do with the approach in this new analytical era that we're in. But we also have to remember that there's a lot of pitchers who have stunk throughout their entire careers who are pitching to sub three, sub two ERAs who have had this dramatic uptick in spin rate, which is being uh, attributed to the use of foreign substances. So if there truly is a crackdown, I think it's going to be fascinating to look at if, if there's going to be an uptick in team hitting over the next couple of weeks, if they truly do crack down and, and put a mandate in place, which it, it looks like they might actually do here. Well, let me, let me start with this since, since, since you be, you began with it. Uh, listen, you, you've known Rob, you know, your whole life. I've known him the last handful of months. He's done ingested enough foreign substances that would make these guys blush. So that's why he's sick of talking. <laughs> right. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, hey, look, guys, this, this obviously comes as, as no surprise to, to any of us or, or anyone who, who might be listening. Baseball is in an all-out war against its pitching right now because they're, they're in do- desperate straits trying to find answers how to inject life back in with sports, how to, how to you know offset these atrocious, historically bad offensive numbers and before we talk about moving mounds down moving pitchers rubber rubbers back banning shifts limiting roster spots for pitchers let's see if we can handle this organically first and this clearly is a major part of the equation and you know it's the players are calling each other out on this this isn't the lords of baseball implementing this these are the offensive players crying mercy uh, we give up. Uh, we, we can't hit this. We, we can't deal with this. Somebody, please help us help ourselves. And that's what baseball is doing here with, you know, implementing this legislation that's going to obviously crack down on, uh, on the usage of these, you know, whatever, spider tech or however you wanted to pick these illegal substances that are being, you know, factored on the, in the baseballs. 
Well, I mentioned this to Rob in the open of the show, too. I don't know if you caught this, Bruce, but Charlie Blackman was talking to the media about a week or two ago, and he was extremely candid with how difficult it has become to hit. And there's no hiding the fact that hitting a baseball is probably the hardest thing to do in all of sports. But he said, when you are programmed a certain way and you're a hitter at the big league level for as long as Blackman has been for eight, nine years now, and you're used to hitting a breaking ball a certain way. I mean, you pick up the breaking ball, you anticipate where it's going to break two and then bat meat ball. He said, but now with all these inordinate spin rates, you're no longer anticipating where the ball is going to break to. You are guessing how much the ball is going to break. And he said, and when you're used to hitting the ball a certain way for so long, and now all of a sudden guys are throwing it in a way that you've never seen, it becomes the learning curve becomes that much more steep, no matter how much of a seasoned veteran you are. And that could have something to do with all these guys who have been stars or have been fringe stars that are just on the decline out of nowhere that are having such terrible seasons with the bat, because it's a hard thing to do. Well, it's an interesting example you you bring up because Charlie Blackman doesn't only have the challenge of having to gauge what the breaking ball does playing a, a mile above sea level, uh, as opposed to what he's on, what he's on the road, but but now you have this situation where pitchers are exponentially better because of what they're doing to doctor the baseball. Uh, you know, it, it's not just the velocity, obviously, it's the movement with that velocity, and the break on the ball is just something that these players are clearly physically and uh, mass incapable of, of doing, and and something you know, needs to be done. I, you know, Blackman had some interesting comments. I mean, Garrett Cole didn't exactly distinguish himself with his comments, you know, earlier today coming just short of, you know, admitting that, that he was doing something and isn't his outing tomorrow night in Minnesota going to be fascinating to watch. But the bottom line is from what we're being made to understand by those in the inner circle, there's 85 to 90% of the pitchers doing this stuff. And again, it boils down to the same thing. You know, the offensive players are fearful of their ability to make a living. And baseball, again, is in, in such a conundrum at this point with injecting life into the sport and attracting itself to the masses that they need to do anything and everything they can. And you, you could depict this as drastic times call for drastic measures, but this really isn't all that drastic. Just implement what's on the rules and, you know, warn everybody, knock it off. Or, you know, we're going to ban you. All right, so let's get Rob more engaged now. Um, let's talk about your, your your Yankees there, Bruce, and I'll pose the same question to both of you guys that I posed a week ago because I think it's an appropriate one once again. Gun to your head. Are the New York Yankees making the playoffs or are they not? Yeah, I think they'll make the playoffs. I'm doing a slow roll on this hit the bat, panic button thing. Uh, look, we, we've seen this before. I, I've seen some, some – I don't know if it was Twitter or, or – one of the thousands of columns that I, that I read every week, someone's comparing that this Yankee is as uninspiring, as pathetic as the Stump Merrill uh, era from 89 to 92. I mean, come on, boys. Really? Let, let's be better than that. Uh, I have seen this before. I've seen them in dire straits, even at this late juncture of a given season. Let's just, you know, hold off on the epithets so far. Let, let's, let's give it some more time here. Granted, I am as stunned as the next guy at their overall offensive futility. Um, and the bottom line is, and Buster Olney could talk to he's green in the face about, you know, trading for Patel Marte, something, by the way, that you and I, the three of us brought to the fore uh, about three or four weeks ago on, on this podcast. Listen, they're going to be 20 teams in line to 
you know, get a 26, 27 year old superstar with three affordable years left on his contract. So the Yankees are going to have to wait in line in that regard. But whether it's Starling Marte, Cattell Marte, uh, Damaso Marte, remember Damaso Marte, the lefty reliever the Yankees brought in that was so valuable for him in the 2009 final run? It doesn't matter. If LeMahieu, Torres, Stanton, if those guys don't play to the back of their baseball cards, if they don't play to their pedigrees, then there isn't a given acquisition that's going to make a damn bit of difference. And, and that's the big issue, particularly for me, Rob, is that that's a good point. Playing to the back of the baseball cards, because it's been abundantly clear over these past couple of weeks that they don't provide anything else. They've grounded into a major league leading 57 double plays. They have made over 35 outs on the base paths. They do not play fundamental baseball. So if those guys are not hitting the amount of home runs that show up on the back of their baseball card, I am in the boat that's saying that they don't make the playoffs. Agree or disagree? I would agree with that because they're designed to mash, to overcome all those misgivings you just stipulated. I was just going to make that point. Yep, because that, that's what they used. They used to just bully teams throughout the whole 162 games in a regular season. Didn't matter how bad their pitching was. And now with the lack of hitting throughout Major League Baseball, the Yankees are feeling it and they can no longer mash their way to victories. And that's what's happening. That's it. You know, I, right. just, I just find it so I find it so hysterical, Bruce, that there's people out there um, that are now saying that um, DJ LeMahieu is, is washed up. I mean, there was Yankee fans that were saying that we were silly for suggesting that Lindor was uh, Lindor struggles were alarming because of the fact that, you know, this has been since the second half of 2019, he's been struggling and people were calling us alarmists. But, you know, DJ LeMahieu, who is in the running for a batting title every single year, and now all of a sudden he's having a bad season where everyone in baseball is having a bad season. And now all of a sudden, you know, he, he's washed up and it's a bad contract. When uh, rewind four or five months ago, everyone was telling Brian Cashman to give DJ LeMahieu exactly what he wanted. It, it's just incredible how, how quickly people flip flop on these things. Yeah, it's a dangerous characterization to make in an offensive era that is historically bad, where the cumulative batting average is 230-something, where the uh, overall strikeout rate goes up uh, exponentially and historically high year after year, where we're currently at 25%. So, again, I think you need to slow your roll on that as well. You have to play to your pedigree, as I suggested earlier. Uh, but none of these guys that we're talking about are at the ages or points of their career where you could realistically expect some kind of decline. So usually this reverts back to the mean. Maybe it's a one-off. Maybe it's a down year. That's the distinct possibility as well. Either way, I got to see more before I'm, before I'm ready to go there. Well, one guy I know who's not cheating is David Peterson because he's god-awful. <laughs> the guy sucks. As I told you last week, Andrew, he's Stephen Match Jr., Looks the part, but the guy stinks. I've had enough of this guy already. Yeah, I've had and, enough and, of this guy. And, he, and he, he's gifted a two nothing lead after a big Pete Alonso had home run. And, and what does he what does he follow that up with? He gives up three consecutive scorching line drives to the six I, seven seen, eight hitters I've seen on five the worst team in the American Mats. League. We finally got rid of the Stephen Matz act, and we got Stephen Max the, the Stephen Matz the sequel. So go on. Well, to here, the here's your solution, there, guys. They're going to send him down. Because they're literally robbing Peter to pay Paul every time they send him out there. Because what is this? At least two out of the last three outings, he hasn't made it out of the first inning. I don't have the game no. on. And, yeah, and, and, and he gets leads. He, he gets leads. 
You're he had a, he had a four nothing lead last week and, and and gave it up in the bottom half of the first inning. It was five to the four Arizona the Diamondbacks, first. and tonight yes. it's the ball. The, tonight it's another glorified Triple A team in the Baltimore Orioles. So you, oh, and, you, oh, and you're forgetting something, Bruce. The start before last start that you were talking about where he didn't make it out of the first inning either, that was also against the Arizona Diamondbacks when they played them at City Field. And yeah. that time, he didn't make it out of the second inning. He was gifted yeah, a lead, you, you went into you, the second you, inning, and walked the whole ballpark. You, you can't continue to run through your ball your bullpen uh, every fifth day in that, in that fashion. So I, I'd be stunned if he's still part of the Met. I don't know what the score is or how bad it actually is. Well, it's 3-2 three, can... Orioles now in the second. I, 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 okay, I again, I would be stunned if, if uh, barring some sort of a grand reversal of fortune with him, uh, as things proceed here, if he's on the roster this time tomorrow. I was going to say he won't make his – He's he won't make his – his next start. And you, you, you're, you you're seeing Lucchese who has strung together a couple of good outings in a row. You have to have more confidence in Lucchese than you have in Peterson right now. And you have one of their top prospects in the minor leagues, Thomas Sapucky. I mean, you could give him a shot. Carrasco, who knows where the hell he is. I think well, maybe you need to he, stretch out Gazelman again, but again, it's easy for us to say here, you know, just rid yourselves of Peterson, but you have to have a viable alternative. But again, when it's this bad and he gives you absolutely no length, you're hurting too many other valuable components of your team. You just can't continue to do it. Right. Well, and then because you run into a scenario where if after day after Peterson pitches, if you're not getting seven innings out of Stroman or Taiwan Walker, whoever's pitching the next day, then you're screwed because you're going, you know, your bullpen is gas. They've emptied the whole entire tank. So not only do you lose the game that Peterson pitches because of a poor outing, but you're also setting yourself up for failure in the next 24 hours. And that's the, that's the thing about baseball that you don't see in other sports. I mean, it, it, it goes along with the extra inning thing too. Yeah. What did he throw at 40 feet? He, he threw a 42 foot. I don't know what it was. And all of a sudden he started, maybe, maybe he had too much substance on his fingers and the ball stuck to his hand like gorilla glue. I, I can't take watching this guy. I mean, this is incredible. This is incredible. All right. Oh, so how yeah. about you, you, you guys, you got, let me tell you something. You guys are really hot stuff. I mean, you're sitting there in first place with a walking, living, breathing man. No, it just has nothing to do with the team, Bruce. This is just a David Peterson problem. Uh, no, this is I, not- I, 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 I'm sensing an overall grander theme here with you guys. I mean, I'm not saying you should be counting your lucky stars because luck doesn't have a lot to do with this. And there's a lot of guys that deserve a lot of credit for being you know, where they are. But they're, best, they're the best of a real bad division right now. They have terrific pitching overall. And it's not just this transcendent star uh, in DeGrom that I'm, that I'm speaking of. But again, again, this has nothing to do with the overall outlook of the Mets. The biggest thing for me, and I think Rob can speak of this too, is that we, there's no more Knicks to watch. Right, and I'm not even a Knicks fan, but I looked forward to watching the Knicks games when they were in the going on their postseason run. There, we have no Rangers hockey, football. We don't have a regular season in football, so baseball is our only saving grace. So I look forward to watching the Mets game every night, and to have to watch David Peterson pitch, it's basically it's it's basically like I have a six day week. One of those days is being completely robbed from me because it's just a terrible day that I want to forget all about. Uh, can I ask you guys this? I know you're both Ranger diehards. Aren't you the least bit happy for your hockey brethren there out on the island and what they're oh. accomplishing there? Yeah, oh. Maybe maybe this is when we end this little relationship we've had over the past <laughs> couple of months here, Brucey, because now you're crossing oh. a line that does not need to be crossed. Where's the um, end meeting just for one individual? Here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there should be there should be a, a boot button somewhere on the screen. You there. know, it, it, it's 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 amazing. I know they're a tremendous story, and I'm the the last guy that should be speaking of anything hockey wise. But it's incredible. It's like that tree that falls in the forest, and no one's there to 
to see it doesn't make a sound. I mean, it's, I didn't even know the Rattlers had a playoff game last night until I got up this morning and, and, and pulled up the athletic to see what, what, what was going on. And I heard about, I read about this great hockey game between them and the Bruins and then the, and the, the coach in Boston spouting off about unfair treatment by the officials on some grand. Yeah, that's always, you know, they're in that's, New York, they're in New York that's gamesmanship. They're in New York. Yeah, well, I get that. That goes on yeah. in all sports. You goes on everywhere. Play to the officials yeah. for game six. Especially but, in hockey, though. They're a New York-based franchise, you know, and they're a, they're a storied franchise. I mean, you know, you guys are well aware of, you know, the, the, the Islanders and their standing in the city, but no one, no one pays any attention. No one even knows that their games are going on. No. No, they don't have much of a fan base, especially, you know, the New York City, Staten Island, Brooklyn areas. Their fan base is more Long Island-based. That's it. They kind of just long, maybe Queens, and that's it. I, I will say, I will say this, and I don't want to be giving out any broadcasting advice here, but just listening to the highlights on the radio, that Islander play-by-play guy could he turn it down just a decibel or two? I mean, it's it's physically painful to hear those calls. It it hurts. He it, it should, it, it, I love the enthusiasm. That's that's I, how we feel about watching David Peterson pitch, Bruce. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. It's that's physically a, painful to watch. That, painful. That, that's that's more of a spiritual thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. I I, thing, I hate to, I hate to get somber on the podcast here, but I think this is something that's worth addressing. Obviously, with both of you guys being Giants fans, and we got news that oh. uh, former Giants head coach Jim Fossil passed away today, seventy-one years old, uh, confirmed by his son this morning, and. I mean, obviously, I'll give you guys the floor here because you could speak on Fossil's impact to the Giants more than I could. But I'm just basically going off of what I heard. I was listening to the K show before former GM Ernie, of course, he was on. And he basically just uttered the sentiment like you never felt like you were dealing with a head football coach. You just felt like you were dealing with a regular guy just because of how genuinely he treated every single person. Um, But he found a balancing act where he could be a hard ass on some of his players and get the most out of them while also being like a brother or father figure to them. So, um, you know, you guys can speak on it. I mean, what, how did you guys appreciate fossils coaching during that era of giants football? Uh, yeah. I mean, Bruce, I didn't think you look, he, he was a good, he was a good coach. I mean, listen, he's not Ray Hanley. Thank God. You know, he wasn't that, you know, so, but I mean, he was a good coach. I mean, look, look, he, he got them to a super bowl. Uh, they had no chance of winning that Super Bowl against the Ravens defense. The Giants Super Bowl was the two weeks prior in the NFC Championship game when they blew the doors off the Minnesota Vikings, 41-0, who offensive coordinator Sean Payton called the hell of a game plan. But, uh, you know, look, he, he was he was a good coach. He was a good coach. Tiki Barber talked wax poetically about him today. I heard a, um, a sports minute that he did on WFAN. You know, it's speaking of Fassel, and uh, Tiki Barber said he loved him. You know, he said he was just a good man good, solid football coach. That's what he was. His son is still a special teams coordinator, very well regarded in the NFL, you know, but the, I mean, the, look, the he, vibe he, I got from listening to, to players and, and uh, you know, former executives speak about him was kind of that his, his personality just kind of fit the, the mold of what the giants are. That, look, that was kind of the way they put it. I, honestly, I didn't think he had much of a personality when he came here until the fateful day when the Giants were not playing well. They were in the midst of, what, a three or four game losing streak. And basically, you know, everybody was up in arms and Fassel just put it out there and said, I'm putting all my chips in the table. We're making the playoffs. And Giants went on a magical run and it took them to a Super Bowl. And basically Fassel said, either I'm going to get fired 
or I'm going to get a contract extension by saying this. And, you know, it, it kind of prolonged his head coaching career with the Giants by making that statement that he made. So it was a bold statement, but it was one he felt like he had to do because he felt like his team was in a tailspin and he needed to put a little pressure on him and maybe put the pressure on himself and take the pressure off his players. So for that, you give him a lot of credit. But otherwise, you know, he was a good coach. He was a look, he was a hot, very highly regarded offensive coordinator, especially with Arizona. You know, uh, uh, you know, so, I mean, look, it's just a shame. A 71-year-old man dying of a heart attack. I, it's just way too young nowadays. That's the saddest part of this whole thing is that, you know, he was just a 71-year-old man, you know, died of a heart attack. It was terrible, terrible news. It was shocking, actually. Yeah, when I think of uh, Jim Fossil's whatever it was, seven, eight-year run here, I mean, the highs were majestically high. The lows were excruciatingly painful and i'm not yeah. just speaking of the sub 500 type years they had those that horrible loss to minnesota in the first round playoff game his first year oh. here in 97 they're up you know nine at the nine morning they blow that lead you know the onside kick wait and then bruce, could I, bruce could i say something about that game because i was at that game and oh, was I, I? I, i'll never forget that with two and a half minutes left dennis green punted down nine, they punted the ball back to the Giants, and the Giants couldn't move the ball. That's the Danny Cannell era over there that we had. Danny, and they come back and scored and beat us. People were leaving the game. With, yeah, the, after the, he punted, people were leaving. I'm saying, why are people leaving the game right now? The Vikings vomited all over themselves the first half oh. of that game. The Giants were up like two touchdowns at halftime. They should have been up by 40. Yeah. Uh, and Randall Cunningham was having a, just a <laughs> – an ordinary, if not, you know, pitiful afternoon. And then he did what he so often did to the Giants, just stuck it to them, uh, you know, in crunch time at the end. They rallied to win that game in 97. As I said, that was Fossil's first year there. They go 10-5-1. and one. By the way, that tie, you'll never forget. Because after that infamous guarantee of uh, pushing my chips to the table, we're going to win the division. Well, their first game after that was that Sunday night game in Washington where the, the Redskins quarterback – Gus Farratt banged his own head against the wall and knocked him out of the game. They finished the game in like a 7-7 tie. I'll never forget that either. And then, you know, as you may I'm sorry, that wasn't the year. Uh, obviously, the Super Bowl year was was the year that he made those, those comments about, uh, you know, at 7-4, and four, we're going to push our chips to the table. We're going to the playoffs. And, you know, you talked about that just unbelievable effort in the championship game. I'm working for CBS Sports at the time, guys. I'm in a production meeting in Oakland, California, sitting in the bowels of the Oakland Alameda Coliseum, preparing for the Ravens-Raiders championship game. Obviously, all the TVs in the background have got the ongoing Giants-Minnesota game. And I'm just sitting there in disbelief. I'm like, my God, this Giants team is going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Kerry Collins-led Giants football team is going to the Super Bowl. And then they go out there and then they get absolutely ambushed by arguably the greatest defense any of us have ever seen. And then two years later, they had that 24-point lead in the second half and just absolutely fell apart, obviously, in San Francisco. We know about the controversy at the end of the game with the uh, going to pass interference. Yeah, it was never called. Well, let's not let's not forget let's not forget the ball that Jeremy Shockey dropped in the back of the end zone. That, that, I mean, that was it, that was a Jackie Smith drop. Yeah, yeah, it would have given them, you know, whatever it was, three extra points. So a 24-point game would have been a 27-point game. It never should have come down to to either of those things. And, 
you know, for all intents and purposes, Jim Fossil's Giants were never uh, heard of there after. You know, it's interesting. I was at his introductory press conference. I was working for the uh, Las Vegas sports radio station. I had just moved back. They had just moved me back to the East Coast. I remember going to Giants Stadium and in the club and, uh, you know, for that press conference. And I got a chance to interview him afterwards one-on-one. And I couldn't get past the idea, soft-spoken, gentlemanly, not really all that big a guy, or at least he didn't, I don't recall him being all that big. He had these wire-rimmed glasses. And I'm like, I just kept thinking to myself throughout the interview, this is the next football coach of the New York football giants. This is the this is the guy that's replacing Dan Reeves. And I, we all know Dan Reeves had to go at the time. Um, but you know what? Give the guy credit because, you know, when you look at the whole balance sheet, uh, the positives far outweigh the negatives. And, uh, and I agree with you, Robbie. He's, he's gone far too soon. And and certainly, uh, you know, all condolences to, to his family. It's a, it's terrible that he that he he goes at such a relatively young age. So spe- speaking of the Giants, Bruce, I mean, you brought this up to us. I was able to read the article in uh, I was able to read the article before we got on the air. And it was one written by uh, Jason Lock and Fora. Uh, and it was basically giving out, uh, you know, awards and labels to teams. And he kind of gave a label to Daniel Jones as a coach killer. And uh, he, he basically didn't provide any sort of substance to it. I mean, this is a direct quote from Lock and Fora's article. Uh, Daniel Jones's label is coach killer. And he says, oh, my, does he tend to turn the ball over? Oh, my, do the Giants require massive gains from him? Oh, geez, how do they spend on new parts for him on offense? Oh, no, I don't think it will change much at all. If this goes as poorly as expected, then heads will roll because of it, especially as other NFL teams continue to add young, cheap quarterbacks in the interim who far outproduce this one. I, I don't essentially get where he's coming from. With it's this a statement. narrative. It's a narrative, Andrew. We, we talked about this two, three weeks ago. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. It's a narrative with this kid. It doesn't matter. Like We brought up the fact that his last six games, he had three turnovers, and one of them, like Bruce said, was the infamous Evan Ingram tip. I mean, you know, come on. It's enough already with this crap. We understand the kid had some turnover problems. Could we cut the crap, though, with the narrative of this kid being a turnover machine right well, now? Well, that, that's the thing I don't understand is that it's, Daniel, it's Daniel just Jones- these guys take it and run with it. Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. Meanwhile, the guy who has turned the ball over at the exact same clip that Daniel Jones has over the past two seasons is Sam Darnold. And everyone is telling, continues to tell me that Sam Darnold, as soon as he gets a change of scenery, will blossom into a top five quarterback in this league. I don't get it. I don't get where it comes from. Now, listen, Andrew, haven't you heard that Sam Darnold was a victim of his circumstances? Yeah, and that, give me a and break. that and that Daniel Jones has had nothing short of Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, and Michael Irvin to throw to yeah, in his it, two seasons. This is the nine. thing. This is the yeah, thing. Listen, that? we're not sitting here comparing Daniel Jones to Dan Marino. We're not doing it. But but the narrative that this guy just flat out and utterly stinks, and that heads will roll in the Giants' head co- uh, coaching circle because of it. Is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And if nonsense. anything, that's a that's a baseless claim because even as Daniel Jones is as bad as he is, Joe Judge stays and Daniel Jones goes. I mean, it, it, he's not killing any coach. Yeah, look, look, look. The, the the narrative is lazy. It's unprepared. Uh, and as I suggested to you guys uh, before the podcast, these uh, so-called experts, these pundits, need to figuratively and literally change the record. Uh, because all we talk about is, is how players are changing. If you want to get to Daniel Jones and talk about his lack of pocket awareness, 
or the fact that he holds up onto the ball too long because he's always, you know, wanting to, to you know, make that home run and, and, and doesn't know when to give up on a play, the lack of touchdown passes, all that's fair game. That, that's all fine and good, but, but stop with the fact that he's just a turnover waiting to happen. Not when you saw how uh, he was trending the last half dozen uh, games of his career. And, and again, it, as far as you know, talking about guys that make these great year two leaps, this was about as unconventional, not to mention unanticipated, year two for, for anybody in any walk of life, let alone a professional athlete, as you could have ever wanted to conjure up with the no OTAs, the no preseason games, new coach, obviously subsequent new systems. Uh, you know, he had to, you know, adjust and evolve around all that amidst a pandemic. It's not exactly an apples to apples comparison when looking at the other subsequent leaps that we've seen from, from other, you know, quarterbacks in, in years past. No, okay, he wasn't sure. Joe Burrow had to deal with this. He was a rookie. Justin Herbert had to deal with it as a rookie. Both were, were brilliant. And, and Burrow, I know he got hurt. But but be that as it may. Well, as we know with prospects in all walk of life, in, in any sport, progression is is not linear. You know, the, the final, the epithet, we're not even close to – to, to getting there with, with Daniel Jones, I mean, nothing is ever accentuated about what he does do well. First of all, he's not a good athlete. He's an exceptional athlete. He, may, he can make any throw on the football field. Intellectually speaking, from a football point of view, he's got some growing up to do. But give him a real chance to do that. I, again, this guy was so behind the eight ball from the second he was drafted he has never gotten a second to breathe here. Uh, and it's his credit that he hasn't suffocated. Well, the problem is, Bruce, is because we, we are uninformed because unlike all these other experts who watched every snap of Duke football, we did not. And so we are uninformed in our opinions of Daniel Jones. That is what the issue was coming in. You know, that's that's what the problem is. I mean, look at what this article was written from. Jason Lockenflora, he's a hack. He's the biggest hack in sports media. I'm tired of listening to his garbage. It's not just a Giants thing, and I'm not even a Giants fan, but this ticked me off. Uh, yeah. Everything that that guy writes ticks me off because he's a hack. I don't, I don't, I don't have the ledger either. You want to go back and look at the Duke teams he played for? You want to name? You want to spend some time naming all the uh, NFL prospects that came hey, out of that program? Nobody. His three years there. Go ahead. And again, Rob it's Liz. the same. It's the same career Eli had at Mississippi because Eli had nobody that was a, of NFL talent, and that's what Ernie Acorsi loved about Eli is that he elevated his team to be a better team. Look, we'll we'll see again. Give him this year. Let's see what happens. He's got the weapons. Let's see if the offensive line progresses. He'll have a third year now. He'll have a full training camp with a second year with the same system, the same coaching staff. Let's see what happens now before we start writing these dopey articles that have no basis to them at all. No basis whatsoever. Well, voluntary workouts have, have started here for uh, a number of teams. And the, the big burning story, I guess, is Aaron Rodgers. And everyone fully anticipates him not to show up to the workouts. He officially did not show up to day one of workouts today. Um, and he could be fined upwards of $90,000 if he doesn't show up to all three days of the workouts. Uh, no one expects him to show up at this point. Uh, so now, as Bruce 
coined the term in, in his little email to us. He, he, this is kind of a game of chicken going on now between the front office and Aaron Rodgers, and someone is going to budge. And who is it going to be? Is it going to be Rodgers who decides to come back? Is it going to be the front office because Rodgers' ego is too big to let it go? Uh, is it going to be Rodgers just for the simple fact that the front office is too naive and doesn't think that he'll actually sit out? I mean, this is going to be something to watch for. But, you know, as these things continue to unfold and – Aaron Rodgers continues to be a no-show. I think that takes away more leverage from the Packers and whatever packages teams were willing to give up for Rodgers, I think is going to exponentially decrease as time goes on here. So it's incumbent on the front office and Rodgers, one of them, to take the high road here and, and figure out a definitive answer as to where this situation is going to go. Are you going to show up at some point or do we have to trade you? And then you go from there. But this constant influx kind of situation that they're in here, not knowing what's going on is not really benefiting anybody. No, I mean, again, gun to your head is Rogers a Packer. Yes. Uh, I think this is ultimately going to boil down to the Packers knowing when to say when, uh, because I, I don't think they're at that point right now, even though, you know, again, he could potentially be fine for missing this three day mini camp. Uh, and he could be fined exponentially uh, more should this uh, leak into training camp. But that that's a decision that, you know, the, the Packers are becoming increasingly aware that they may have to make here. Where do they draw that line in the sand that, okay, uh, I think we better stop believing that we could call his bluff. Uh, we're not going to have this player. So are we going to bite our nose to spite our face? And say, look, we're the Packers. We're bigger than any one player. Uh, our brand will over, oh, will supersede any player, even one as prolific as as Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look, didn't hurt their brand in the '70s and '80s. Nearly two decades of just pitiful football. Uh, they're still one of the most well-represented franchises uh, in, in all of sports, not just in in current times, but. They are obviously aware, aware of the exorbitant return they would receive in trade. Um, but in your guys' estimation, when is it time to come to that conclusion and say when? Is it to start a training camp? Is it halfway through training camp? Is it week one of the season? A lot, I think a lot of that depends on how that coaching staff and how that front office feels about Jordan Love. I mean, we haven't heard any ringing endorsements yet, but I don't think they're in a huge rush. If they are confident going into the season with Jordan Love as their QB1, they can afford to let this situation kind of linger and go on here. But if they are not confident in Jordan Love being under center this year at all, then they need to figure it out. Whatever direction they decide to go, they need to figure it out because they need a viable option to play quarterback on a team that, even though they've consistently fallen short the past couple of years, is a team that is built to win right now. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 I was just going to respectfully disagree. Well, maybe not respectfully because it's you. But <laughs> I was going to disagree uh, nonetheless. Right. That Your last point was perhaps the most prudent of, of the others. They are in a situation where they're going to win now. They're a viable Super Bowl team, not with Jordan Love, regardless of what you're thinking of right now. The Packers in no way, shape, or form believe they're a Super Bowl contender with, with Jordan Love under center this season. No way. So that, that, that is a huge mitigating factor in, in their thinking here. So you're saying he is a Packer? Your gut tells yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I, 
I said this from, from the beginning. I don't think the point of, of no return to that proverbial line has been crossed here. I don't think we need to put the toothpaste back in the bottle. There were some, some transgressions, some misgivings on the Packers end of this thing as well. Uh, that, that, that an apology and maybe some financial incentive can cure. But I didn't, don't see anything here that warrants the termination of what's been mostly a glorious 16-year relationship here. I, I can't see that that's in the best interest of either side. And deep down, I don't think any either party wants that to come to fruition. So, yes, I think Aaron Rodgers – will be the Packers quarterback in 2021. And not only that, as you start going on this time next year, as you start going on in time, I mean, you can't make a trade for, for Aaron Rodgers in, in July and August. Just can't do it. It's doesn't, it's never been done. I don't think not a, not a player of that magnitude for sure. So well, you also have to remember too, the longer this situation lingers on, and I'm not sure if the green Bay brass is actively thinking about this factor, but I think it needs to be brought up as the longer and longer you wait, the more time that you're letting the situation with Deshaun Watson come to a conclusion. And once that situation is figured out and the discipline has been handed out, I would argue that Deshaun Watson becomes the number one trade commodity on the market again. And people that may be interested in Rodgers may be shifting their attention to the quarterback who's in his mid twenties, who is locked up for years rather than the aging quarterback who can turn on a whim and decide to walk away because he has other interests and he's a little quirky. So you know, that's that's something that can play into this as well. Again, I don't think that Green Bay's front office is actively thinking about that, but it certainly might be in the heads of other teams that might be interested in Roger's services. Right. Well, look, I mean, you know, the whole thing with the Sean Watson, he, he look, he more than likely there's going to this going to come to a conclusion with this whole, you know, with all these allegations of the sexual assaults and whatnots, because as we said earlier in the podcast, I mean, couple of weeks ago all 22 of these cases are kind of linked as one so there's going to be a payment made on that now Deshaun Watson is going to get suspended even if this goes away and there's no court proceedings or anything like that there's no criminal charges against him but he makes just you know a backdoor payment to all these ladies or whatever happens there's still going to be a suspension here even if it's for four games so even a team trading for for Deshaun Watson they'll have some time to integrate him into their system Right. But if, if he is, if he is in a situation where there are no court proceedings and anything like that, it will just be a slap on the wrist for gamer for conduct detrimental. But if he's found guilty of anything, it'll be a a lengthy year long, perhaps even more. So, I mean, you're hopeful if you're these teams who are interested in Watson, who's in need of a quarterback, you're hoping that this thing is resolved behind closed doors so that there's not a whole lot of noise surrounding it. And the suspension isn't that long, but I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence with this, but uh, I think I'm going to agree with Bruce. I think my gut tells me that that he's on the backers. I just, I just can't see him doing it again. We've talked about this fact that we have not gotten a ringing endorsement of Jordan Love from anyone involved in decision making with the Packers. So, you know, you could, t- you know, talking about how good of a pick that was, whether or not that's a defensible pick. That's a conversation for another day, but the bottom line is if at this current juncture, they do not feel comfortable with Jordan love, they're, they're going to find a way to my wife pops into the, uh, (laughs) and there's Gina making an appearance. Go ahead. Put Gina on the mic. She has, let's dress up this show a little bit. Where are you going, honey? Come on. That's the right side. That's the right side of the family in more ways than one. I know this is radio and not TV, but we, 
we're on a Zoom call here. That's let's dress things up a little bit. Bring her back. <laughs> she is the brain trust behind uh, our our access to Lestrada. By the way, Bruce, she's a big shot there too. You guys have scared my wife half to death. When I go on this podcast, she crosses state lines. I might see her by Thursday if I'm lucky. <laughs> All right, you guys. You guys are a scary lot. So, it's that time tonight. I think I have another good one that's going to have Rob interested. Don't do it. We're we're gonna we're gonna give it a try. We have week three installment of our trivia. Now, this one is another category in which you guys will know plenty of answers. It's all incumbent on whether or not Rob decides to purposely sabotage this segment once again. Which I, I probably think, will because I despise this segment. I, I think he has too much <laughs> pride to do it once again. And once he hears the category and the names start coming to his mind without any any serious thought, because he's overstating the thought process of it, uh, I, I think we can get this thing going on. So, Bruce, you got the W in week one. Rob with the W last week. Uh, because oh, I vomited the, on myself. In yes. Well, you why named, do we call a spade a spade? Yes. I threw up all over myself last week. Pro, there were projectile vomit all over the Shine household. Yeah. That's that's the way we'll say it. It was uh, Ron Dane that did you in. Nice. Okay, this week's category, simple one. I, I'm very confident that both of you guys will be able to give multiple answers with this one. And then it just comes down to repeating or, or you know, once we get uh, three, four rounds in here, you may be a little <laughs> bit forgetful. The category is the 3,000 strikeout club. I want you guys to name me pitchers who are in the 3,000 strikeout club. What are we doing this for? (laughs) For what purpose does this do for the podcast? We should do just, you know what to do? You need to do a third podcast. You got this one. You got the Mets mayhem. Go do a trivia podcast. And you're going to be my guest. No. (laughs) I got to tell you. I, I have got, for every I, single one. I have gotten some reviews from people and not only do people enjoy the trivia, but they also enjoy the way that you react to the trivia. So I say we just continue to do this just to piss you off because people li- actually enjoy when you get animated and get annoyed. So this is well, part I'm of the annoyed reason already we, right now. Listen, so. the podcast is nothing without people listening. So we have to give the listeners what they want. If they want to hear you get ornery and pissed off because we're playing trivia, then guess what? We're playing trivia. It's simple. Oh, my God. So you better get your thinking cap on because you're starting all things these, off this all week. All these talking points we have on here, we can't find something else to talk about. No, hey, no, wait. No, no, let's, uh, let's okay, about, uh, the Yankees can't get a hit with a runner in scoring position. Uh, there's sticky stuff all over the baseballs. Aaron Rodgers is on the trade market. Oh, okay. We got through everything. It's Lon- time for Lonzo trivia. Ball coming to the, to the Knicks? No? What do we think about that? <laughs> no? He's not coming? See, Bruce is on my side. He's staying quiet, and he won't let you derail this. How about how about two years from now that Zion Williamson is is a Nick? Do we think so or, or no? Right, that's the next. That's that's the next guy we're waiting for. Listen, no, Bruce. Bruce has been in this industry for a long time, and he's been on the in the production seat in this industry for a long time. He knows what's on the docket. You can't deviate from it unless it's absolutely groundbreaking stuff. And unfortunately, I would love to come with some groundbreaking information, but unfortunately, we do not have it. So we have to stick to the docket. That's 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 fair, isn't it, Bruce? Hey, listen, you're you're the ringleader. I'm just I'm just a minion here. Well, I, I would say that you're a co-pilot, but after that performance last week and Ron Dane, I think minion is probably the right title for you. I, at this I point. feel I feel good. I feel good about that. I think we'll be okay here, Robbie. I think we'll be all right. 
Also, I actually have a weird story I wanted to bring up really quick. Uh, Key Brian Hayes from the Pirates hit a home yeah, run tonight, missed, but yeah, missed, missed first, first base and was called yeah. out. Uh, really? I've seen that. Yeah, I got that alert. I mean, between, between that and that disaster, which with the Cubs and Javi Baez a couple of weeks ago oh. against those same Pirates. I oh, mean, the Pirates. Did, yeah, that was the Pirates too. Um, by the way, they released that kid. Not in the oh, Will, 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 Will Craig. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, listen. Yeah. Not in the immediate aftermath of that, but he's. Well, I got it. I got to tell you, in all honesty, out of all the the young like prospects that are just starting to make their debuts around the league, I, I've been the most impressed with Key Brian Hayes and his short sample size. He looks like a stud yeah. at the plate. He can he's handle thank God that. Thank God that wrist injury wasn't a lot worse than. It easily could have been. I yeah, mean, obviously sure. He's only played a handful of games this year. Sure. But yeah, you're right. That's the best thing. Listen, guys, we've talked about this. That's the best thing baseball has going for right now is this level of young prime superstar that is infiltrating the sport right now everywhere. Yeah. Unlike we've ever seen. You know, we, we get on baseball a lot and for, for very good reason because – it's a seemingly dying sport, but man, they have got some talent out there. Some guys that are still years from their prime that just absolutely blow you away. Look did you did you did you see by the way that uh, Mike Trout was sent down to the to Triple A? Oh, did not Mike Trout. Re- I'm sorry, Jared Kellenick. I, I get I get the both of them confused because you oh, know. Oh, for thirty nine, will do that. Yeah, yeah. hitting a, <laughs> hitting hitting zero point ninety two. But yeah, people want to put him on the pedestal. Seen, I haven't seen an enormous expose in either the New York Post or Daily News about that. But he has the three for three night with a home run, and all of a sudden it's uh, the worst trade in in Mets history, including the uh, midnight massacre of Tom Seaver. Yeah, I mean, listen, it very well could be down the road, but it's just oh, yeah. let's calm not, down. Let's calm down for now. I think that's the main boat that you and I are in, Bruce. I mean, the kid is the kid's had forty at bats. Calm down. Wasn't that the point we made when we brought up how ridiculous it was, how much attention was being paid to? Uh, Jared Kellenick in his major league debut, and then in his first handful of games, he has one big night, and the Mets should, you know, be, uh, you know, weeping in their soup, uh, you know, because of the of this just historically bad trade they've consummated. Could oh. we at least see him? What, well, what have I been saying since day one, Bruce? Forget, you can even forget about how good Kellenick is going to be. If the Mets win a World Series and Edwin Diaz gets the final three outs in those games that they win in that World Series, Jared Kelnick can turn out to be the best player to ever grace a baseball diamond. That is still a winning trade. The player you got in return played a vital role in you winning a championship. So you make that trade 100 times out of 100. You know, it's it's another another interesting point of uh, discussion point here. I agree with you. Flags fly forever. You know, prospects are, they're not all a dime a dozen, obviously, but I was thinking about the Washington nationals the other day. Was it worth, was the Patrick Corbin contract worth it? Was the Steven Strasburg extension worth it? Well, I'm not, see, ri- I'm not writing off either guy's career right now, but Patrick Corbin has been terrible now. Well, for that's two a, years running. That's Thanks an God. interesting discussion though, because uh, because although they won and flags fly forever, as you said, signing those guys precluded them from bringing back guys like Rendon and guys like Harper, who I think could have played a larger role in the national success moving forward because that team cannot hit out of a paper bag most of the season. I mean, besides Trey Turner, that team cannot hit. And you're talking about two vital pieces in that lineup that went well, elsewhere Soto because they didn't bring them back. Soto can hit. Oh, yeah, Soto can hit too, obviously. I 
choose to forget about him because yeah. he kills the Mets. He's on my shit list. But I mean, seriously, I mean, Starlin Castro, another guy who I think is a really, really good hitter who's having a down year. I mean, a journeyman, Josh Harrison, Josh, the Josh Bell experiment doesn't necessarily seem to be working out for them. So that I think is an interesting conversation because they won one championship, but had they not made those signings, they might've been able to compete for a second and third championship um, where those moves have, pre- have precluded them from doing so. So that I understand your point. That's an interesting discussion. It is. You know, you know what else is interesting too, by the way, speaking of Anthony Rendon, he's doing his DJ LeMahieu act out there at Anaheim. And he doesn't have uh, – He finally broke out of a slump recently, Rendon, the other day. Which, yeah, well, he, 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 he started teeing off against a guy who was making his major league debut the other night. And But besides that, he and he doesn't have Trout in that order. Having Trout in that order hitting behind you or, or uh, in front of you is a huge, huge factor. That yeah, he but here, have here's my point. I'm not trying to single out LeMahieu any more than I am Rendon. But the bottom line is these are by far not isolated instances. This is of epidemic proportions around the sport. There is many a great hitter. You know, Lindor is another guy. I know he's hitting a little bit more right now. But he's another guy we've, we've talked about in this same vein. Something is up, okay? And baseball is doing something about it. Let's let the dust settle. Let, let's see what this looks like a little ways from now. Let's put some more time into the equation before we start, you know, pushing these guys into retirement. All right. 3,000 strikeout club. I didn't forget about it. Bruce. I was hoping that you did. I, I did not. Bruce, start us off, my friend. Uh, okay. Nolan Ryan. George Thomas Seaver. Randy Johnson. Robbie. Pedro. Roger Clemens. Ferguson Jenkins. Bob Gibson. Justin Verlander. Burt Weiland. Greg Maddox. Steve Carlton. Phil Negro. I hope he was in it. Is Negro there? Negro is there. Tom Blavin? Long, longevity. No, Negro. I said longevity. I no, no, I got Tom Blavin. And Rob takes the win once again for a segment Blavin's that he does not, on that not list. like. This trivia is awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I know, you know. Uh, this trivia is great. I know this isn't, this isn't horseshoes, but. It was a heck of a lot of a grander effort than last week. Let's put it that way. Glavin is not on this list. Glavin is not on this list. He He's has 2,600 strikeouts, Tom uh, Glavin. Who did I, who are the obvious ones I missed? The obvious one that you're missing. Well, we probably, we probably both, we both missed, nobody said Walter Johnson. <laughs> That's probably the one guy we yeah. probably should have said. Walter Johnson you did, was not said. Um, Don Sutton was not said. That's that's a not so obvious one. I mean, Walter Johnson, I mean, Robbie's old enough to have seen Walter Johnson pitch this prime. So <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Gay, Gaylord uh, Perry was not said. 
What about your boy? Uh, how do we not get Gaylord Perry after all this talk about illegal substances? In I know. I don't know what to get Gaylord What about, Perry. Uh, isn't Sabathia there? Sabathia is there. Sabathia is not. Sabathia is not there? No, the five guys that were not said were Don Sutton, Gaylord Perry, Walter Johnson, Kurt Schilling, and John Smoltz. Are you sure Sabathia is not on that list? CC I would Smoltz. double check that. Smoltz got to three. I know he pitched forever, but he pitched, what, six, seven, eight years in the bullpen. And I, I probably would have guessed Smoltz later on, but I would have been more iffy about Smoltz than I would have been Glavin. Wait, I want to see CC Zabathi. Oh, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. I, so I have a list, and I checked Schilling instead of Sabathia. Oh, to see, I'm making the both these look like idiots so, now. So, so he's and even, pretty, he's, and that's he's pretty acing us. He's acing us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Schilling, Schilling didn't get to three thousand, huh? No, Schilling did, did, but I'm just saying I checked off Schilling's name instead of Sabathia. So when I'm looking at the names that we didn't say, Sabathia was checked off as if it was said. So So how many many of the the 3,000 guys combined did we get? Uh, 15. Of 21. 21. All right. That's That's a good job. All right, Rob, you know what I always do week in and week out. Uh, Are you on Google right now? I'll go on it. Even no, go don't on go it. on it. I want. I don't want you to go on it because I don't want you looking this up. Because I'm going to offer you the cop out that I offer you on a weekly basis. I'm no, going to ask you a bonus question. If you get it correct, I will never be revisit trivia again. This is your weekly cop tell out. Rob, tell Robbie how to spell Google first. It'll get on. <laughs> <laughs> if I you could can, do that. If you could tell me how many strikeouts Nolan Ryan has, no more trivia ever again, can unless the it? people jump for joy and request it. You know, uh, it's over five thousand. Right, no, no, I know, I know. I'm going with the, I'm going with either two numbers for some reason. Why the these numbers are in my head, and it was either fifty twenty four or fifty thirty four. And I might be wrong on both accounts. You're wrong, but there is a four at the end. Okay, so I know you're getting the four. It's it's fifty seven fourteen. Or fifty seven fourteen. Okay, all right. You're Nolan Ryan. So you were in the right ballpark. But that was an impressive showing for both of you guys. And now Rob has a two-and-run record heading into week four. For someone who hates the segment, he is just spreading his knowledge across I'll, all I'll fields. I'll tell you what, Bruce. If you put this on, on your resume, you can say goodbye to any possible job you might be getting. Oh, that's not happening <laughs> anyway. But you lost to me in trivia. <laughs> anybody that's listened to me for the last 30 years knows that I've, worked, I've already worked my life. Jeff. Well, how about this, Rob? Do you, have, uh, do you have a little story for us tonight? No, no stories tonight. I don't know if I'm more disgraced by the Ron Dane offering last week or that I'm now literally losing to Rob here. Yeah, to a guy that hates trivia. Well, I'd, I'd hate to put you on the spot, Bruce, but, I mean, you've been around a block a few times. Do you have any any pretty uh, crazy stories that you think would entertain our viewers? Jeez, boy. Uh, for a guy who's lived as mundane in existence as I have <laughs> – I mean, you know what? Since I poke enough fun at you guys, I'll, I'll have a little fun at my, my own expense here. It is, it's sports related. I have no idea why this story came to mind. You guys remember, well, you won't, Andrew. Robbie, you will. Remember the at Giant Stadium, they used to do the kickoff classic every August? They'd have a major college football matchup the end of August to kick off the season every year at Giant Stadium. Yes. Yeah, they, they did it. It was a primetime thing, but before that, it was an afternoon thing. So 
me and a bunch of guys, we did this through, through high school and college. We always went to this game. One o'clock kickoff. We're out tailgating eight, nine o'clock in the morning. We got a couple of kegs, no exaggeration, tapped for like eight of us. We, we ate, we drank like there was no tomorrow. And this was a game against Iowa. It was Iowa against Tennessee. It was a hot afternoon. We're in the front row, Giant Stadium. This was the day in the days where they had the AstroTurf, so which was basically paint across a sheet of concrete. All right, so the heat would come up off of that and just absolutely frickazee you. All right, so we're sitting there in the front row. It's a game. I might look the part, but I'm not a big-time drinker. And between the heat, and everything that I had consumed to that point, I was passed out midway through the second quarter. So we're sitting there, and the guy from ABC on one of those moving cameras, I should know this, I've been in television for 20 years, I don't know what you call it, but he's got the TV camera, and he's taking shots of the crowd as they go across on, on, a, on, a, on a moving apparatus, whatever they call it. And they finally get to where me and my friends are sitting, and my head is buried in, in my in my chin. I'm I'm totally passed out. And my friend elbows me. Goes, go look, come on, come on, you're on national TV. I wake up, I pick up my t-shirt, I yak in the t-shirt. <laughs> and this is out there to be so, seen. So 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 like what you did last week during trivia. <laughs> Basically, essentially the same thing. And everybody wanted to know what was you know go, the people that were watching at home actually recall seeing it but obviously they cut away before i basically uh it all over myself i actually do have a story that i'm recalling now and, oh, and from when i was a little bit younger so you asked for it i gave you i gave you what i had all right so i was i was 16 at the time me and my buddy mitch his dad was a big gambler big gambler big horse race player big gambler this guy used to gamble we had a local uh, a softball team that we had put together and we challenged everybody in the area, you know, outside the zip code and whatever it may be. And his father used to come to the games and bet the other team that we would win. I mean, he would put like hundreds on this game. Like we needed that sort of pressure as 16 year olds. But anyway, he comes to me and my friend Mitch now, and he goes, listen, my friend talking about my uncle Mitch, he goes, your uncle Marty gave me a tip on a horse. There's a horse running tomorrow at aqueduct the name of the horse was cross cut two i'll never forget this so he said you got to bet the horse okay so now they used to have the otbs that were open and in brooklyn it was right by the the, the big shopping mall area there then anybody that came from brooklyn knows the king's plaza shopping mall so it was on avenue u the otb so we knew some of the older men from the neighborhood in there and you know one of this one of these guys this guy Vinny that I knew from my neighborhood I asked him to come out I said listen I said Mitch's dad gave us a tip on a horse could you throw $50 each on it for the both of us I said you know to, to win he goes yeah no problem he goes what's the name of the horse I said cross cut to running in the next race he goes all right we're gonna bet it also I'll give it to the other guys the horse goes off at like 35 to 1 out of the gate the, the horse shoots out of the gate like a rocket and me and him, me and my friend Mitch are like, oh, my God. Now, we're not allowed inside. So we're outside on our bicycles watching the race from the monitor from the outside window because obviously we're too young to be in there. All of a sudden, the horse shoots out, the quarter pole, the half pole. The horse is ahead by about five furlongs. And we're like, oh, my God, we're going to win about $2,000 each year. I said, your father's a genius, Mitch. What a tip. 
as the horse is about maybe two furlongs from the finish line, it drops dead. <laughs> I mean, the horse just collapses. <laughs> Boom. I mean, we will look, I, I'm looking, I'm like, well, I thought the short, the, the horse got assassinated. I said, my God, there's somebody, there's like a sniper on the roof. I said, what the hell happened? <laughs> we found out the next day that the horse was drugged up so much. He came out <laughs> so that so that was the tip that your uncle Mitch had was that he was yeah. so he was the horse, so drugged yeah, up the horse was going yeah, to be drugged up so much and if he could withstand the drugs for like a minute and a half race <laughs> he'd win the race and then die after that the horse died two two furlongs short of the finish line and the horse was I mean there was no other horse in the picture with this horse and I'll never forget the name of the horse cross cut two was the name of the horse Unreal. Oh my so, god. There you go. There That's you go. a good one. And you're talking two 16-year-olds that had two thousand dollars in their pocket. Right. We were right. counting the money. We were like, oh my God. As 16-year-olds back in the day, that, that's a hell of a lot of money. At 35 <laughs> to one. Jesus. I mean, that's yeah. it. Listen, I'm 24, go soon to be 24, and that's a hell of a lot of money for me too. So yeah. I, I could imagine being 16 sitting on your bike. Sitting on a bike was jumping up and grand. down. Yeah, you know. Oh my That's god! Crazy. Oh I my mean, god. I had a, I had a story, but I don't even think, I don't even think it's worth it anymore. I figured <laughs> since we we didn't rehearse this and we were just going off the cuff, but yeah, uh, I'll give it a you whirl anyway. Get, you need to get a few, you need to get a few more years on you there before you start relating. Oh, stories, the right? stories will be better, and I have a lot of stories that uh, some but, but, not but, even related but, to the podcast. But um, I think I've told Rob this before, and certain people who have listened, I've told them this before. But you, you've never heard it, Bruce. You you'd appreciate this. And being a baseball fan, you are so. I'm back up at school. I want to say this was 2017, maybe. I'm up at school. And uh, it was when I first kind of got my feet wet with the whole broadcasting thing. I'm trying to meet as many people as I can, send out emails, send out reels, ask for advice, yada, yada. And uh, I get in touch with one of the local teams from the Atlantic League that plays in the vicinity of my school. And there were a bunch of them that played in the area. York Revolution was one of them. There was another team, the Lancaster Barnstormers. So I email the broadcaster and I ask him, you know, if I can shadow his broadcasts for the night. He said, yeah, sure. No problem. So I get there a couple hours before the game and we're, we're BSing in the, in the press box. And he's asking me what I want to do and this and that really nice guy helping me out. He goes, listen, he goes, I'll give you the full experience of everything I do. I mean, it, we, we do the research to, to print out the media guides. I'll take you through that whole process. I'll take you down into the locker room, do some pregame interviews, the whole nine. You can sit in the press box with us for the whole the, the whole entirety of the game, and, you know, things are all good. So I'm like, okay. So he takes me into the press box, into the, the player locker room before the game. He's chatting with some players. He's going to do some interviews, and he walks up to this one guy, and uh, he says, hey, he goes, by the way, this is Andrew. He said, if you see some kid in a suit following me around, um, you know, don't, don't think he's like stalking me. He's actually with me. He's shadowing me. So the guy, he doesn't introduce himself to me, but he shakes my hand. He shakes my hand. He says, Hey, you know, nice to meet you, whatever. And I'm like, God, this, this guy looks so familiar to me. It's unreal. But at that point, I mean, I didn't even know that these independent leagues really even existed. And I certainly didn't know the kind of players that played in this league. Like there's former big leaguers and stuff. I wasn't aware of that at the time. So I'm like, this guy looks familiar. He probably looks like, you know, someone I know from school or something. I don't know. So we're walking out and then all of a sudden he starts telling me about another guy who played in the league and he was a former big leaguer. So I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, hold on. I said, that guy you just introduced me to in the, in the locker room. I said, that guy looked awfully familiar. I said, who was that? 
and he says, oh, you might you might have heard of him before. Actually, he has some big league service time. He goes, that's Lasting's Millage. And now I'm a diehard Mets fan. So I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Lasting's Millage. He's like, yeah, yeah. You've heard of him. I'm like, yeah, I know who that is. I said, I'm a diehard Mets fan. And I'm like getting far enough away from the locker room so that he doesn't hear me anymore. I'm like, yo, when Lasting's Millage came up, I mean, Rob, you know this specifically. It was Jared Kellenick. Even worse than Kellenick. I mean, they were yeah. comparing him to Ken Griffey Jr. Five oh tool, can't yeah, miss I remember that. every single attribute in the books you could look for on a player. Wasn't a big this kid either. Him. He wasn't a big kid in stature either. Last no, season. no. He might have been 5'10", five, 5'11", five, maybe. I mean, he and wasn't the, a big the, guy. And the one thing about him I always remember is his first career home run was at Shea Stadium. And after he came out of the dugout, after the third out was made, he ran up the up the up the right uh, the, the, the right, right field foul line, line yeah. and high five and all the players. players. Yeah, he took a lot of shit from that. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I was. Well, that's what I was telling the guy. I'll never forget the guy's name, Dave Collins, the broadcaster for the team. I'm telling. He's asking. Well, me, he's Dave like, Collins was the ex Red, wasn't he? Dave Collins was the ex Red, the lefty. Well, this Dave guy Collins. wasn't. This guy wasn't a ball player. Oh, he wasn't a ball player. No, Remember, no. there was a Dave I Collins. Know who you're talking Reds. about, though. I know you're he played with the Yankees too, Dave Collins. Yeah, that's and, and the just, Yankees in the '82 where they tried to assemble yeah. a track team. Well, and, from the Bronx Bombers to the Bronx Sprinters, he was part of that. Yeah. And an interesting little tidbit on this guy, Dave Collins. He actually told because once we started talking about how I'm a Mets fan, I explained that whole that whole thing to him, Rob, about the first home run. He hits to game tying home run, high fives everyone down the right field line. And uh, he goes, oh, so you're a Met fan. He goes, how do you feel about Gary Cohen? I said, I love Gary Cohen. I said, we're blessed. I said, we have the best booth in baseball as Met fans. And he said that he was actually the runner-up to the play-by-play job in Pawtucket, where Gary Cohen got a start. He said it was this guy Dave and Gary Cohen were the two finalists for the play-by-play job, double-A for the Red Sox. And he said Gary Cohen beat him out. And he goes, and I'll never forget. I'm like, I'm, I'm better than this guy. He has got nothing on me. It's politics. I can't believe I didn't get that job. He goes, and now look, he's doing the Mets games. He goes, I can't shine this guy's shoes. I don't yeah, know what I was thinking, that. but yeah. So, I mean, uh, that was crazy, but that was like my first little starstruck moment. I'm like lasting's village. God, hey, Bruce, he how about this? Bruce, how about this? You'll appreciate this one only because your, your relationship with him. But my uncle Sal, God rest his soul. They, uh, you know, my family, I have family in Louisville, Kentucky and, and Indiana area over there. My uncle Sal was the only U- United Press International when they were still around UPI. He was the only sports writer in Louisville, Kentucky, which basically was just the Louisville Cardinals college basketball. That's what they really had there and the football team. So he, my uncle knew nothing about sports. Yeah, I, he, he knew what to write, but he had relationships with guys like Denny Crum and, guy, and Patino and guys like that. He just didn't know anything about the major sports. At I mean, he knew nothing, zero. So one day he calls me up. He goes, listen, I, I forget when the hell this was, sometime in the mid to late 70s, maybe early 80s. I don't know. He goes, I got to go to Cincinnati. They're sending me there to interview a baseball player. I said, oh, he goes, maybe you can give me some tidbits on him, a little history on him. Oh, yeah. I said, I said, all right. You know, he goes, I said, who are you interviewing? He goes, Pete Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and he, and he, had no, he had no clue who he was. No Andrew, Andrew, by the way, this is no Rob's uh, holding up quotation marks here. Uncle. Yeah, this is Rob's <laughs> uncle. <laughs> Didn't know who Pete Rose was. But go ahead, Robbie. Yeah. Finish your, finish your uh, autobiography. I mean, your, the story about your uncle. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that was it. That's the whole story. I got a great Gooden story. You guys are Met fans. You'll appreciate this. So I'm this, uh, you know, lost kid interning for a Sacramento based uh, all news station in the whatever it was 91 92 
and I'm, I came home back east for a visit, but it just so happened that I was able to get a you know press grant. This is when the Yankees and the Mets played a home-and-home home just prior to the start of the season. It wasn't the Mayor's Trophy game. Obviously, this long predated uh, interleague play. So I'm at Shea Stadium, and uh, Gooden was actually pitching against the Yankees. It's, it's, it's the Sunday afternoon game. And I go in the locker room, and I had no fear. I go up there and said, hey, hey, Dwight, you have a second to do an interview? He goes, uh, you know what? Let me get you. Let me get you after the game. I'll get you after the game. I'm like, all right, I'm being blown off, blah, blah, blah. So after the game, there's like, whatever, a dozen reporters at his locker. He's sitting there answering questions. He sees me standing kind of in the back of all them. He points to me, goes, you know what? I, I told you I'd get, I'd get you after the game. What do you need? He gets up, walks away from the horde. And pulls it goes uh, goes off to the side to do a to do a short interview with me. Oh wow, that and, was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, and ever ever since then, I was like, this guy is is golden. We all know all his problems are well this is, this chronicled. Is, this is Dwight Gooden. You said this is Dwight Gooden. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we, we we obviously again we know all about the substance abuse issues and and how he's. Doesn't make him Career a bad was, guy. Look, was, it doesn't make he has troubles. Time doesn't again. make him a bad guy. No, exactly. That's what I mean. The guy, and, and you know what? It, it's not just this story, but talk to anybody that knows Dwight Gooden, and they'll tell you the same thing. The, he he's such a sympathetic, tragic figure because he's such a he's such a great guy, and he, he's got a beautiful soul. He just he had demons that. He could never, and to this day, obviously, still can't overcome. But, I mean, that's an experience 30 years ago, you know, what? just when I'm starting in this business, and I'll, I'll never forget that. That's just awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It, that's good. That's good impression. to hear things. Like, I love hearing things like that. So about, get him on the uh, show next week. Athletes. Yeah, get him on. yeah, I'm sure he'll remember me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, surprised, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't go for a restraining order after that afternoon at Chase Stadium. <laughs> right. Well, at least he didn't vomit all over him. No, well, you were no. you were going you were going for one on me after you left that Lestrada dinner. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you listen, Rob. You didn't do too bad for not rehearsing it and just. Yeah, that one. For some spot. reason, why that one popped up into my head, I was like, "Oh shit, that's right, I forgot that, that, that story." That, yeah. the, 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 I have lived, so I have led such a mundane, ordinary existence that when you asked me for some sort of obscure story, that's the best I could come up with. Me regurgitating all over myself <laughs> in front of a national TV audience <laughs> when I was some strung out teenager. Well, That's the best I could do. That's I, what you're getting from Bruce Shine. I have a lot of stories that I, I'll leave off the air, but when I interned for the, you know, once I actually found out independent baseball was a thing years ago, then I had an internship with the New Jersey Jackals out in Montclair, New Jersey, Bruce. And one of the players on our team was Matt Latos, former big leaguer. And yeah. he would come up, he would come up in the press box and talk to us, you know, my boss and the interns all the time. And the stories that he gave us, about some of the stuff that went on in the locker rooms. I mean, he had us rolling on the floor. I mean, I just can't say I don't want to be implicating random people on the air because some of these stories are just insane. Oh, these guys. But, hey, listen, you know, Robbie, you talked about your uncle's experience with Pete Rose. Obviously, I got some experiences with Pete, too. I worked with him for two years. You want to talk about one of your great all-time storytellers. 
uh, you know, they, they, they come from the heart that are genuine. Pete Rose has them. I mean, Again, you know, same church, different pew. You know, you talk about Gooden and, and all his issues and how he gets characterized. And, you know, Pete isn't necessarily looked at in such a favorable light because of, you know, some of the self-inflicted things he, he brought upon himself. But the guy's got a heart of gold. Nobody loved or loves baseball more than that guy. He was, he was down to earth. He treated everybody you know, wonderfully. I, I don't have enough good things to, to, to say about the guy. I'm well aware of his history, but I have no ties to the man right now. And our working experience goes back over, over 20 years. But you want to talk about, you know, one of the great gems that we have that we should appreciate while we still have him. Pete Rose is one of those guys. I, I actually, I actually, I actually walked up to Pete Rose and a lot of times I wouldn't do this, but this was in Vegas when he was signing at the Mandalay Bay. Um, and he was sitting there in his sports book watching the races. And I, he was just sitting by himself. So I walked up to him and I said, hey, listen, Pete, I'm a big baseball fan. You're a Hall of Famer in my eyes. And I'm sure millions of other baseball fans. I said, so you don't need to be inside a building in order to be known as a Hall of Famer. I said, I really appreciate just the way you played the game and went about your business playing the game. I said, you know, thank you. Shook his hand. He goes, oh, thank you so much. Ask me for my name. You know, and that was it. And I walked away. You know, no big deal. But you know, I just want to pay the guy respect that he deserves. Because I did right. love the way he played the game. I, you know, I really, really did. So, so yeah, Bruce, I mean, that works too. Dwight Gooden, Pete Rose, whoever comes up first in your contact list, have him on the show next week. What's the matter? I'm not good enough for you guys anymore? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, Andrew, we ask you for stories, but, you know, you're 13 years old, so all your stories have to do with diaper rash. <laughs> yeah, di Robbie di and I, diaper Robbie rash and, I have real and life curfews experience. and uh, recess and playtime. Yeah. And, na and nap time. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> on I mean, that if note, we want anybody, if we want anybody younger in your in your seat, we'll start looking to you know to get sperm to host this show. <laughs> 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 on that note, we will close it out for episode sixty three of Four Score the podcast. Uh, thanks as always to Bruce for, <laughs> for hopping on with us. Uh, thanks for everybody for contributing the stories that they they pulled out of the vault for that little segment. Uh, congratulations to Rob for getting another well-earned W in trivia. I know how much he looks forward to that segment, so that was great. No, and, I'm, uh, ready, I'm ready. I'm ready to just do another one right now. Let's Stop go. rubbing it in. <laughs> See now, you know what, I Bruce, I have to ask you this. I, I think very highly of you, so I doubt this is a thing. But no, you're I a figured child. I figured I'd throw this out there. Are you purposely punting on the trivia segment so that Rob feels good about himself and wants to continue to do it? Like, are you purposely sabotaging for the betterment of the show? Or are you just making a fool of yourself? Either or. No, the former narrative works for me. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. No, that's that's what we'll do. So you're I lucky. root for me. For <laughs> me. <laughs> the luck is running out, Rob. Bruce is going to be – he's on his A game next week. I tell you, so you well, listen, we got, to, we got to make the plans to get the Brucey's uh, – the, the Casa Shine there one day. But I'm going to wear – I tell you the truth, I beat him a couple of more segments before we go there. I'm wearing – I'm winning like – I'm going to wear like a WWE championship sort of belt or something. Yeah, wear a belt there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, Dad. Okay, Dad. <laughs> Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> Uncle Sal, I hope you're listening up there. <laughs> we love you, Sal. Bring ask, your wife, bring your wife back on, would you please? Ask, ask, uh, ask Uncle Sal if he's got a tip on what next week's topic is going to be. 
This way, maybe you can get a head start on your little research. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> dinner at Lestrada's restaurant in Staten Island talking about Uncle Sal. You really are a soprano, aren't you? You just... I mean, in every sense of the word. You fit this stereotype to, to the letter. Oh, my God. Getting, tip, getting tips from, from a, as a 16-year-old. <laughs> Unreal. I got Unreal. other stories I can tell you growing up. Believe me. Walking, well, we'll living, breathing, mafioso. Here's another quick story for you. When I worked in a movie theater, I was I was uh, like a manager in a movie theater in Brooklyn. Oh, you've told uh, me and, this before. This is a good one. And and the, and and all of a sudden, we hear a knock on the, like a rapping on the door. And it's a, I, I take the security guard with me. And, and it's a guy with a, with a shotgun standing at the metal door. And he was like, take me to your office. We're like, ah, fuck off. And we slammed the door on him. And, and that was it. <laughs> and he the left. Guy, the guy left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. Would you? Would, yep. I wouldn't mess with Rob either. Knowing his background. Yeah. And your family's from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But I didn't have anything to, you know, to match his shotgun. I had a flashlight, I think. I'm sure you would have found something that fell off a truck somewhere. He he walked by the movie theater and he pulled out a shotgun and Rob says, listen, don't shoot me. I got a tip on the race at Aqueduct this weekend. Cross cut two is going to win the race. Yeah, don't oh shoot. <laughs> Cross cut two. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll call it quits on it's that. It's amazing. Note. I still remember the name of that horse. I, I mean, if something like that happened, I would never forget the name either. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cross cut with the, with the, with the, with the two, like Roman numerals, like one, two. Like I'm that. still impressed that I can get out of bed in the morning and I don't have to feed myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll do it for episode 63. Uh, thank you, everyone, for their continued support. You can follow us on our social media pages. Rob's is at RobOG6 with two Bs, R-O-B-B-O-G6. You can follow me on my Twitter, Andrew May underscore 21. You can also follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. And there's another home run served up by Gazelman. This is a bloodbath in Camden Yards. So that's uh, something that I'm not going to watch once this podcast is over. But on a uh, on a brighter note, we'll be back with you for episode 64 next week. Um, you know, hopefully as, as new information comes out uh, on the Aaron Rodgers saga, which we talked to a bunch about in the past couple of weeks, you know, hopefully we'll have some more clarity on that. Yeah, I don't think, you know, what, you know, what's it going to be? It's going to be, you know, it, they're, they're going to draw their line. And somehow, some way, they're going to meet in the middle. You know, that's it. Yeah. Well, and we'll also we'll also uh, see if there is going to be an actual crackdown on the sticky substance use in baseball. I mean, this week will be a telling one if they start to enact it and start checking and see if ejections, suspensions. We'll we'll see how this ends up being handled. So, certainly a lot of stuff to look forward to on the docket for next week. Uh, but in the meantime, follow us on social media. You can submit your fan questions uh, at four four score the podcast at gmail.com is where you can. Um, send in your fan questions. You should also follow the show Twitter account. I forgot to mention that at four score, the pod uh, tweet at us, tweet at me, tweet at Rob. Uh, we'll certainly get back to you with any concerns, questions you might have. And also we had the voicemail hotline. I mean, it's been inactive for a few weeks now. We haven't really got around to it. Haven't reminded people, but um, you know, a lot of people were excited that that came to the show. So we want to open that back up. We want to get everyone as involved as possible. If you want to leave a voicemail, the number is 917 426 five seven seven nine leave a message any topic any team any sport does not matter we will certainly get to it uh and if you have any stories that you think might top some of the stories that are being told on this program we'll be we'll be happy to hear those as well um so but we will see and if you have any to- stories that i could buy let me know i could use them please <laughs> <laughs>
Help wanted life experience. Go ahead. <laughs> life experience, yeah. A, a genuinely enjoyable and fun life. Anyone can hook me up with that. That would be greatly appreciated. I'll just settle uh, for a life period. But go yes, ahead. yes, that works. That works. So uh, on that note, we'll, we'll see everybody next week. For Rob Dufresne and Bruce Shine, my name is Andrew May. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.